Hello there, movie fans and cult fanatics. Uh, just uh, interrupting your regularly scheduled program briefly, uh, because we passed another milestone recently, one that completely passed us by. We weren't even paying attention, and before we knew it, we had 309 subscribers, uh, which I don't know if it's probably gone up a little bit by the time you hear this, but yeah, we, uh, we were amazed. We hit the 300 subscribers milestone, and it doesn't feel like two minutes since we were giving the 200 subscribers uh, video to you and asking you to pick a movie for us, which, by the way, we have, uh, for us to review uh, later in the year. So we did not expect to reach 300 this quickly. Obviously, we're, we're growing all the time and we want to keep doing that. So, uh, But yeah, we, we wanted to take this brief time to say thank you to every one of you who has subscribed, everyone that's enjoying the episodes that might have shared it or told a friend. Um, we don't get a whole lot of interaction, so you can always feel free to comment on YouTube or to contact us on social media, which you can always find via our link trees. Uh, you know, if, if there is something you want us to cover or you wanted to address any of the things that we talk about in the episodes, by all means, we're quite, uh, you know, we're quite social people. We're willing to have conversations and things with people and uh, well, get involved. Well, he is. He is. He's, he's <laughs> social. I just like to say, you know, kitchen at parties kind of shit. <laughs> so yeah that other voice you can hear is uh the other half of the podcast dk uh and yeah dk it has to be said the cult classics has been a roaring success which is probably responsible for a good uh, amount of that number of subscribers so oh no i'm use? sure they're just like you know people talking nonsense uh <laughs> I, I i do appreciate the fact that you said we were paying no attention which is pretty much my mo most of the time so yeah it's uh it's it's been really great and thank you everybody we couldn't have got this without you and if you like it please help spread the word like subscribe share tell your friends tell your enemies you know that i can't think of a better punishment for them really uh yeah we've got more stuff coming up over the next year more movies more cult stuff hopefully more interviews us making asses of ourselves yep speaking of which um this episode you're about to see or hear is our 50th full official movie review, believe it or not. And because it's a special event, we've reached 300 subscribers. It's our 50th episode. It is a very special film that we're reviewing and an extra long review. DK, do you want to reveal to people? <laughs> no, I'm going to be churlish. Keep listening. <laughs> yeah, li li listen out. It's going to be uh, quite apparent within, I think, about four seconds. When yeah, I'm looking <laughs> if we tell them, then they're going to miss our radar application. That's very true. Yes, our uh, yeah <laughs> application for the RSC. So yeah, um, stay stay tuned for that and really do enjoy it. We had such a blast, and hopefully that comes across in the recording. And uh, yeah, it could, couldn't have been a nicer bit of um, timing than to hit our fiftieth episode. And as I said, as a way to celebrate our three hundredth subscriber, that was several subscribers ago now. But uh, yeah, so yeah, if you uh, you know want us to feel guilty that we haven't got anything else planned, then get us to four hundred. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> stick around, and as I said, you know, there's more to come, and please get involved. You're more than welcome. We beg of you. <laughs> and yeah, if uh, having checked all of the uh, sort of various analytics and stuff, if anybody that's in Belgium that apparently seems to be a huge fan of us on audio wants to kind of get in touch and explain what in particular <laughs> appeals to the Belgian fan, then I for one would love to hear that. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> So, yeah, no, wherever you are in the world, uh, we're really glad you appreciate just a couple of uh, northern blokes talking crap about films that they love. and <laughs> So, yeah, without further ado, we're going to cross over to our very special guests ourselves to uh, reveal what this episode will be all about. So off we go.
Michael, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure podcast in the YouTube system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the Silver Screen Podcast. How normal it looks. Defenders of the Yacht Defender. Out of the sky, his rockets ignite. Jets into battle, flying faster than light. Flash Gordon. Welcome, fellow cultists. And if our shameful opening parody or our awful rendition of the Defenders of the Earth theme didn't give it away, this episode we're going back to the 80s for a look at the legendary Mike Hodges-directed answer to Star Wars and some might say all-round cheese fest, Flash Gordon. And it's a very special one. Not only is this thing a childhood favourite, not only are we recording this from what feels like the surface of the sun, but if you recall our Evil Dead episode a few months back, it was revealed that my fellow silver screen host Mike considers this his all-time favourite cult movie. As such, it would be just mean to leave him out of proceedings on this one. So without further ado, he is the uh, silver screen's own empress of the hour, who I have no doubt is looking forward to what's to come. Mike Wilson, how are you doing, fella? Oh, DK, I love you, but we only have two hours to record a podcast. Get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> Lying bitch. <laughs> oh, and so it begins. I, uh, I, th- I think it's pretty much safe to say you've been waiting for this one a little while, yeah? I've been waiting for this one since I was about six years old. <laughs> yeah. you've, you've not progressed very much, have you? Let's be <laughs> Some would argue I'm still in the same mental state, yeah. <laughs> well, aside from this, have you been watching anything good this past week? You know me, I've been watching a ton of stuff at the cinema and everything. So I watched, I did the Barbenheimer double bill um, that everybody was, you know, insisting. So I watched Barbie, then Oppenheimer. Reviews for those and everything else I watch are always on my letterboxed. And yeah, what else did I see? Uh, There was a preview screening of, oh, Joyride not long ago that I quite enjoyed. Rude, but entertaining. Then just a bunch of other stuff. Usually mainly stuff that's at the cinema or that I'm, I'm supposed to get to the cinema to see and then don't and then watch on DVD instead later. Um, oh, I did watch Dunkirk for the first time and really enjoyed it. So oh, there nice you go. One. I've still yet to see that one. Uh, as painful as it's been, I'm sure you've had to force yourself to watch today's movie too, yeah? Yeah. You, you Not only watch today's movie, you know fine well that when it came to, uh, what, what do they call it, the Amazon Prime Day, and I saw that the 4K box set with all the goodies and extra discs and five disc set and everything was reduced by 10 quid. So it was 30 and sorry, 40 instead of 50. <laughs> I leapt straight on that and I've been working my way through that set and loving the fact that I have it and reading the booklets, watching the life after flash documentary and everything. So yeah, I feel like I'm currently a flash expert. <laughs> That's fantastic. So uh, now I know you'll be giving this five out of five. I'm going to move right along and introduce my second guest joining us this evening to discuss the classic. And it's another cult classics virgin and newest <laughs> member of the Silver Screen family, Rune. How are you this fine <clears throat> summer's eve? Oh, I'm I'm good. Staying inside. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Do you want yeah. to tell us a little bit about yourself? <clears throat> All right. Um, so um, I'm an actor. I'm from Charleston. I do stage and 
film acting. Um, and yes, this is a brand new film for me. I'm actually in film school right now doing post-production and cinematography. And I had to take a film as art class last semester. And we had to write a paper about any film we wanted to. So since I knew this was coming up, I wrote my paper on this. <laughs> I'm sure you're too. Oh, so glad. It was the dean of the department who was oh, teaching the class that had to read this paper. And he was actually like, I really need to watch this now. <laughs> Funnily yeah. enough, that dean was Max von Sydow. So he was completely... <laughs> so... <laughs> and then I rewatched it again this morning. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So the pain's fresh. No, it's so fresh. <laughs> I should great. let our listeners know that uh, Rune and I first met when they graciously agreed to read out... Uh, <laughs> One of my short stories live uh, during the pandemic for those stuck at home in that right room. Yes, right. It was such a good story. I love that one. Oh, it's very sweet. I mean, yeah. we'll try and arrange for that, actually, to be uploaded onto the uh, the podcast feed at some point. Oh, so you can see just how a, a good performance can elevate <laughs> mediocre material. That is not true. <laughs> it was fantastic writing. I was well, so with it. Well, I was, I was, it was very gracious of you to read it. You, you really brought it to life. Oh, thank you. Well, it's a recently new thing on here, but I wanted to ask, just to give the listeners a feel for your vibe, what have you been, other than this, what have you been watching recently? Anything outstanding? Me? Um, let's see. Well, DK, you know that um, I'm a judge for a film contest, so I get to watch a lot of, like, indie um, stuff coming through our, our, our little, what do we call that? It's a uh, competition. No. Festival, festival, yeah, that's the yeah. word. <laughs> I was trying to find the word myself. <laughs> oh man, my brain. Um, so I get to watch a lot of fun stuff from indie filmmakers like that. And that's that's a lot of fun. Um, but as far as like stuff that people have been really into, I haven't been able to do the Barbenheimer yet. I'm in the middle of a show. And so <laughs> my time is very like school, show and sleep right now. Oh, so it, yeah. you, you it doesn't give you much time. It doesn't. Um, so, yeah, I haven't seen much of that. But I did start, like, season two of The Witcher. Does that count? Uh, I've not actually watched that. Everybody no? keeps going about that. Oh. I've never seen it. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. And it's, like, video game based. So I feel like that's nerdy and within genre. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I haven't, I haven't gotten to watch a lot of anything lately. <laughs> well, to put you on the spot, I mean, it's something I always ask the guests on here, and one of the reasons we're currently discussing this episode, thanks to Mike, but if you had to choose, what would be your all-time favourite cult movie? Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, yes, that was one of the ones I wanted on the list for next year. <laughs> Y'all haven't even done it? Oh, my gosh. No, no, yeah, no. we haven't done it yet. We have <laughs> a guest if we do do it. We have to talk about how Richard O'Brien is in Flash Gordon. Oh, that, yeah. that's definitely going to come up. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's it's my it's my favorite. My dad and I used to watch um, a lot of uh, mystery science theater when I was a kid too. So, like, that's why you're friends with DK. You're going to say this is why we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> so that that particular like campiness is near and dear to my heart. But Rocky Horror is like my first like great cult love i think oh fantastic we'll have to uh to add that to the uh the list of cult ones on on our letterbox well yeah. i made the request and now we have a guest just waiting i'm just saying so. <laughs> well, we'll get back to it uh 
So, yeah, it's that uh, letterbox is becoming quite a little list, Mike. And I'm guessing it's inevitable that at some point people are going to start choosing the same movie. So at that point, you might have to evolve into a, a, a ranked kind of top 10. Yeah, where if more, more than one person... It hasn't happened yet, mind you. There's uh, there's nobody du- uh, duplicated a, a pick, so... Yeah, it's quite a, quite a nice little selection there going forward. I'm just writing down to remind myself to put it onto that letterbox list because I forgot I'd actually started. <laughs> and then I had to go through every episode and was like, what were people's choices? <laughs> so now if I write it as we find out, then I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. uh, well. So on to today's. Now, Flash Gordon initially went into production in the late 70s when producer Dino De Laurentiis, and if you want his other credits, please check out his AMDB page. You'll find many, many cult classics listed. Went ahead and hired Nicholas Rogue and writer Michael Ayling to develop a script based on Alex Raymond's comic book strip of the same name. De Laurentiis had been itching to make a Flash Gordon movie since the 1960s, especially after having relative success with his two previous comic book adaptations, Danger Diabolic and Barbarella. After an agreement with Federico Fellini fell through, no doubt leading to being name-checked as Arrow's pet in this, he had recently declined an offer by a young director to work on a Flash Gordon movie, refusing refusing to grant him the rights and forcing said director to leave to make his own Flash Gordon with Blackjack and Hookers, and thus Star Wars was bought. Now... After Rogue left the project and it was turned down by Sergio Leone, De Laurentiis hired director Mike Hodges, known for the Michael Caine classic Get Carter, with scripting duties handled by Lorenzo Semple Jr., who is well known for political thrillers such as The Parallax View and Three Days of the Condor, and strangely enough, the Adam West Batman series. Semple Jr. would later go on to say, Dino wanted to make Flash Gordon humorous. At the time, I thought that was a possible way to go, but in hindsight, I realised it was a terrible mistake. We kept fiddling around with the script, trying to decide whether to be funny or realistic. That was a catastrophic thing to do, with so much money involved. I never thought the character of Flash in the script was particularly good, but there was no pressure to make it any better. Dino had a vision of a comic strip character treated in a comic style. That was silly, because Flash Gordon was never intended to be funny. The entire film got way out of control. Now, over the next couple of years, production took place on the movie, primarily in the UK at Shepperton and Elstree Studios. Unfortunately, a dispute between Sam Jones and De Laurentiis resulted in Jones leaving the project during post-production, with De Laurentiis having the lead's voice for the most part dubbed over by actor Peter Marinka, and thus scuppering any hope for an already planned sequel. The film was released on 6th of December 1980, and while performing strongly in the UK and Italy, the latter, due to its featuring some well-known Italian actors at the time, it performed poorly in other markets, despite being number one at the box office in the US in its opening weekend. It garnered mixed reviews upon release, with some loving it and some hating it in equal measure. Sam Jones was nominated that year for a Golden Raspberry Award for his performance. Nevertheless, over the years, the film has remained incredibly popular, with it sitting on 83% over on Rotten Tomatoes and featuring in their 100 best sci-fi movies list. And for those that haven't, and why not, seen it or are itching to watch it again, Flash Gordon is currently available on streaming services, well as DVD, Blu-ray and 4K, uh, which I, again, feel sure Mike's going to bring up at some point. (laughs) Normally, we do try and reach out to someone to do with the production of whatever movie we're discussing. Sometimes we're successful other times less so. This one was difficult in that 
many of the people we contacted weren't available, some just downright didn't reply. And I've got to give a particular shout out to Ornella Mooty's agent. I'm sure Ornella is fantastic, but after writing what can only be described as an essay on how we would uh, be respectful in an interview, the agent got back with one word, which was no. And I'm sure he just, you know, wrote that in the back of his limo, but there we go. As a, uh, a result, we couldn't really speak to anyone regarding this episode's movie. However, as part of Mike's aforementioned wonderful purchase, there is a note from the late Mike Hodges himself, may he rest in peace, which at the end of the day is almost like having him here to speak to us himself. So without further ado, here, read by Mike, is a word from Mr. Hodges on the experience of working on the movie directly. Over to you, fella. Yeah, well, I, I did want to kind of have some kind of contribution. As uh, as DK has mentioned, we've tried to contact some people from the production. Um, and I did recently purchase uh, the the 4K, uh, you know, special edition with all of the various goodies and things of Flash Gordon. And it did have in um, a rather cool thing, which is a, an intro by the director, Mike Hodges. So it is kind of like he's contributing to the podcast in a way, because uh, sadly, as you know, he did pass away uh, at the very end of, uh, of 2022. So not long. Uh, not long gone uh, so yeah and uh, this was it's it explains briefly that this was because he was unable to film another actual interview in person because it was uh, it, this was due to come out in 2021 so it was during 2020 when there was a period of self-isolation and nobody could meet up so uh, yeah he just says you know unable to do that he contributed this and I just wanted to share his thoughts on the film because I think it was probably the last thing he probably would have uh, would have said about it so uh, give him that word so he says, uh, in my more facetious moments, I've described Flash Gordon as a metaphor for Uncle Sam's foreign policy, naively meddling in ter territories with little knowledge of the country or its culture. Witness Vietnam and Iraq. It was, of course, a preposterous idea. Gordon, unlike the U.S. State Department, is an innocent, accidentally rocketed with deal into an alien world. My journey as its director was not dissimilar. I, too, was an innocent entering unknown territory, ignorant of the original 1930s strip cartoon by Alex Raymond, ignorant of cinema special effects, and not particularly interested in science fantasy. Despite this, and for reasons I still don't totally understand, Dino De Laurentiis was determined to have my name in the director's chair. Despite my doubts and with some trepidation, I agreed. I'm glad I did. The next two years were spent on an almost constant learning curve. On my previous movies, I'd kept a tight control over all aspects of the production. With Flash, that wasn't possible. For a start, Dino was a quixotic producer with many great ideas, but an equal number of crazy ones. I had first to find a way of dealing with him. But not just him, he had chosen Danilo Donati as the designer of both sets and costumes. Danilo's talent was immense, and I loved every moment of working with him. Trouble was, he didn't speak a word of English, and I not a word of Italian. I'm not even sure he ever read the script. That means every day was an adventure. I'd wait <laughs> to see what Danilo would present me with, and uh, whatever that was, I'd improvise, literally make it up as we went along. Luckily, I had a wonderful crew and cast who rose to every twist and turn in this process. In short, we had fun. I genuinely feel this sense of freedom and invention accounts for the movie's effervescence. We were mixing all the right ingredients in the hope that the souffle would rise. It did. Will it have legs? That's a question you can never answer when you're actually making a movie. Will it last or will it vanish like so many do? On my first movie, Get Carter, we went into production so quickly and it was shot in such a white heat, I had no time for such fancy thoughts. With Flash Gordon, it was very different. I confess to sometimes wondering if it would ever see the light of a projector. I was on tenterhooks waiting for one crucial problem to be solved. How to create the galactic skies in which all the action takes place. But once our brilliant special effects team had cracked it and I started seeing those magical skies they created, I knew it would reach screens around the planet. Did Flash Gordon have legs? It seems it did. Otherwise, I wouldn't be writing this 40 years after I made it. 
So yeah, that was, uh, that was nice. uh, my on the movie. Yeah, I like that. Thank you for that, Mike. I'm sure Mr. Hodges was pleased that his work has held up for so long and developed such a loyal fan base. Not only this one, but several of his movies have stood the test of time and been taken to heart by so many people. Now, regular listeners to the show will know that it's at this point I usually do a little deep dive into behind the scenes on the production and hopefully unearth a little bit of trivia that you may hitherto have been unaware of. But as we all know, this is Mike's favourite movie. So, well, cult movie. So it would be churlish, nay, downright unfair of me to take the duties this week when I can see him out of the corner of my eye, jumping up and down with eagerness to talk about it. <laughs> and yeah, Mike, that's right. I can see him jumping up and down from 900 miles away. <laughs> my memory may be for shit, but my peripheral vision is bang on. I was going to say, we are we are currently living the various different types of uh, weather torment that Ming inflicted. I'm, I'm undergoing <laughs> the uh, the hot hail and pouring down rain. You two are experiencing the volcanoes <laughs> and scorching heat. <laughs> Not in the my same wife, place, unfortunately. My wife commented on that the other day. We, when we were watching the film, uh, when it was putting all the different climates up, I went, oh, it's like the weather now. And she looked at me and she says, you're the one wearing the Flash Garden shirt. <laughs> I love that shirt, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. And uh, yeah, so and so now I, DK, here and now, give you, Mike Wilson, this kingdom to rule over as your own. So go for it, big guy. As I said, you did kind of touch on we didn't get a chance to talk to anybody, but I feel like I weirdly have got a kind of unfettered access to a lot of the people involved in this via, and I have to shout it out again, the documentary Life After Flash, which is one of the five discs included in the 4K set, which I just watched yesterday, and I have to say is a fantastic watch, just not even just as a fan of the movie, but as somebody who enjoys documentary filmmaking and, you know, the, the lives of people and the way films are made. It's, it's a fantastic watch and I highly recommend it, but especially if you do like the film. Uh, as of, uh, sort of being able to watch that, it means that I can answer a few of the questions that DK was alluding to in regards to, like, the feud between Sam Jones and Dino De Laurentiis, which is probably the first thing that I should bring up. And oh, uh, Matt, as do, I was, do, you need, do you need that rock music in the background? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I do that, then I'll, I'll put on our behind-the-scenes uh, bit of music that hopefully will, you know, accompany my droning voice because I've got quite a lot to get to. So I tried to find something as suitably Queen-esque as I could. It's it's a poor imitation, but you know you'll start to make too, I suppose. And we definitely don't have Freddie Mercury here to provide vocals, believe me. But uh, <laughs> so yeah, um, the, the first thing that I should probably get into because I was intrigued, and DK wanted to know as well what the situation was with regards to the feud uh, between Sam Jones and Dino De Laurentiis. And as I was saying to DK off air, uh, there really isn't any satisfactory one thing that I can point to. It seems like there's a, you know, a, a lot of things that I should go into and it's kind of a make your own mind up. People fell into camps type situation. But ultimately, if you want my two cents on this, as I gave to DK, frankly, both Sam Jones and Dino De Laurentiis were just being dicks. So just to give you some background of the things that I learned, for example, um, Melody Anderson said that she was hired and had to be in London like the next day straight away. Everything was really quick. Uh, she had to dye her hair because she's naturally blonde or naturally wear, you know, has it blonde. Uh, and because Dino wanted this, you know, this view of Dale Arden. And apparently he didn't also like her eye colour. So he made her wear coloured contact lenses. And she says, you know, that he, he was quite, you know, not a, not a bad person, but quite a tyrant when it came to these kinds of things. And he did make her cry on more than one occasion which, you know, make of that what you will. Um, a lot of the cast and crew said that 
he argued a lot, De Laurentiis, with the director, Mike Hodges, and that whenever De Laurentiis turned up on set, they were terrified and they couldn't get any work done uh, because everybody was on tenterhooks and he was always unsatisfied with something. A lot of it boils down to, I think, some of the cast say that he thought he was making an epic and Hodges and everyone else were very aware that it should be more, you know, camp tongue-in-cheek. You can't take it too seriously. Although the acting was taken seriously, but, you know, they knew they weren't making, you know, <laughs> something that would be highly regarded as a, you know, epic piece of fantastically constructed multi-million epic uh, cinema but yeah so whatever the reason he was kind of a a presence on set that caused a lot of issues because like i said that slowed down the work and everything and as brian blessed regales in the documentary it basically all boiled over one day when um mike hodges just lost his temper and said in uh, in blessed's words no no dino you must fuck off we can't get anything done <laughs> Which I, think, uh, I think yeah kind of uh, exemplifies the kind oh, of shit. person that uh, that they were really <laughs> um so yeah uh well let me see where was i uh as regards to sam jones obviously de Laurentiis is no longer with us but his widow was interviewed and she's not too kind to sam jones as you might imagine he she just says that he was kind of a you know typical big ego um young emotional person a prima donna some of the cast have also said the same thing uh, some people have said that he listened to his representation and they were kind of holding out for more money or being typical sort of Hollywood hard ass uh, and he was wrong to listen to them. There's stories of him getting carried away with drink and drugs and you know, the, the, the Hollywood lifestyle. Um, but yeah, so basically that, like I said, that was a clash of egos, I think, in that situation. Uh, because there's also people, you know, some people on that side say that Dino wasn't vindictive, but at the same time, uh, I did want to kind of push back against what DK was saying about Sam Jones walked away from the project because he didn't. He was basically, he went in December of the, I think in 1979, the recording year, he went home for Christmas expecting the call to come back and dub his lines. That call never came. Dolorentius just basically called somebody else without telling him. And, and you know, that was, uh, that's been regarded by some of the cast as being a very unprofessional, not very nice move. Um, Certainly Peter Wingard says that he had to register his protest with uh, with the producers and director at the way Sam Jones was treated. And it's just, yeah, like I said, I don't think there was any one defining incident. It was just that the two egos clashed. So wow. uh, having said that, Sam Jones, after the event, did apparently come for De Laurentiis again by suing him for having not made movie two and three as he had a three film contract, which of course was thrown out as ridiculous since movies two and three were never made. So that was one of those kind of superfluous Hollywood uh, legal situations. <laughs> but yeah, um, it, it all just comes down to, like I said, personal situations and being careful who you upset. And a lot of personal stuff in uh, Sam Jones's life, which the documentary gets into, which I won't hear, uh, you know, th there's tragedies, there's, you know, uh, uh, all kinds of things going on and he comes out the other end I think quite well in the documentary, but you, you can go watch that for yourself and I would recommend it. Um, yeah, in terms of the making of the film, though, everyone involved basically seems to think that they made the best film that they could. There's a lot of uh, love and respect played to the Flash Gordon comic strips of uh, of the 40s and, and beyond. Uh, certainly, Brian Blessed was a big fan of those and wanted to apparently would, would go around the playground pretending to be Voltan before being cast. So that was a bit of fortuitous casting for him. Uh, a lot of the people say that, you know, th there were no superheroes without Flash Gordon, even though he might not have superpowers. So there's a lot of kind of respect paid to that. In terms of the making of the film, apparently Max von Sydow was a bit unsure of how to play Ming. 
uh, and on his first entrance was given advice by Brian Blessed, who said basically play it like a magician, come in with all flourish and use your hands and everything. Uh, when uh, it came to filming some of uh, Sam Jones's scenes and coverage, apparently Yvonne Seidau would, uh, would be in the full costume, the full regalia. And Sam Jones told him, you don't have to, you're not on camera, don't, uh, you know, don't worry about that. And Von Seidau apparently said to him, I'm going to perform with you when I'm not on camera exactly the same as I would when I am, and I expect the same from you. So, yeah, there was a level of kind of uh, intensity and professionalism. I see a lot of them took the acting of this quite seriously, so, yeah. Um, in the end, by the way, I should have said that... Um, Dino De Laurentiis and Sam Jones did eventually make things up. Sam Jones, through all his various things, basically came out of it saying that he had been an ass and he takes a lot of responsibility for it. And he humbled himself basically and called up and said, whatever the situation, apologize for my part of it. Let's just put it behind us. And at that point, De Laurentiis was apparently very, you know, humble about it as well. And just, oh, forget about it. It's water under the bridge. And so at least they did get a chance to make up before he passed away, which was a nice thing to hear. <laughs> so, yeah. Um... Yeah, I just have a few other random personal things about the making of the movie, which I found interesting. Obviously, I've mentioned it was very fast and kind of kinetic. There wasn't a lot of room to to breathe for the actors, but they do all say they had fun. It was it was still a great thing, and I think that kind of shows through in the finished product. But just to give you an example for um, for, for one thing that De Laurentiis did as the producer, there was some debate about who to cast as Hans Zarkov with it being between Topol and another actor whose name I forget. And De Laurentiis apparently asked if anybody had a coin, said that I make some of my best decisions this way and literally flipped a coin for it, saying heads would be Topol and tails would be this other guy. It landed on heads and that's why Topol got cast in the film. So, <laughs> Absolutely incredible. <laughs> yeah. What a way um, for your uh, career stuff to be determined. I know, right? And this is the guy who's in charge of like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of studio money and everything. And he's like, ah, typical. Look at the coin. So. Oh my. <laughs> um, they, I have to add this as well. The, the initial idea for the planet of Arborea was that everything was going to be pink, but basically they were forced to change that because the cameramen refused to shoot it. They said, you can't make a pink tree. It looks absolutely ridiculous. And we'll be laughed out of the uh, out of films and out of Hollywood. So they basically made them repaint it back to tree colors. Which is, I, I kind of want to see what the pink arborea would have looked like. Mostly, but... That'd be production photos or something, right? Yeah, there's got to be at least one thing, but I couldn't find anything, sadly. Um, when it came to Clytus, Peter Wingard would not die, apparently. He really wanted to be around in case there was a sequel. So when they were filming that scene, he insisted on various different things. He gave Mike Hodges a, a ton of other ideas of maybe I can do this or maybe that, maybe I can get away from it. And Mike Hodges, again, apparently got so infuriated with this on a work day when not a lot was happening that he went, No, you're fucking dead. Just <laughs> drop. You're killed. Get on with it. <laughs> I can only imagine how exasperated that guy must have been quite a lot of the time. Um, but Wingard still insists that uh, the hand that picks up Ming's ring at the end of the movie is Clytus, and he would have had a way back and would have made it into that sequel if it was ever made, and he's kind of sad it, it didn't get made. Um, just a couple of last things then to finish off this section from me. First of all, as I mentioned to DK off air, apparently Flash Gordon was the Queen's favourite movie as in the Queen of England who just oh, passed away. Yeah. Um, she met Brian Blessed at a Royal Variety performance and apparently said to him, oh, I have to say, me and the family all absolutely love Flash Gordon. We watch it at least once a year. Could you please give me a quick Gordon's Alive? To which Brian Blessed for the best booming Gordon's Alive that you would usually expect of him. And she apparently smiled and said, oh, thank you so much. Thank you very much. So, yeah, <laughs> you've got to love that. 
as I said, you've got to watch this documentary for more of these kinds of tales. There's far more, but that one was one that tickled me. Um, and finally, another one just to, to, to finish off on this. Mike Hodges apparently did ask Dino De Laurentiis why he was hired to make this movie because he's completely the wrong man, in his words, for the job, <laughs> having done things like Get Carter and stuff. De Laurentiis' reply was, Mike, I like your face. <laughs> <laughs> So there you have it. That was the, uh, the making and some behind-the-scenes facts about uh, about Flash Gordon that I discovered from the documentary, which, as I say, thoroughly recommend. It's very entertaining as well as informative. That <laughs> is incredible. Where's this documentary yeah. at? Oh, I, I don't know if you, you can probably find it on streaming because it's a movie in its own right, and it came okay. out, I think... It came out fairly recently because it was after they'd made the two Ted films and stuff, and it is just <laughs> called Life After Flash by... Um, I think she's called Lisa Downs, the filmmaker. She also did one called Life After the Navigator afterwards, about Flight of the oh. Navigator. So you oh, can wow. seek it out and it might be streaming. If not, it's definitely available to buy. And yeah. it's in it's in most of the you know extended or five disc versions of the Flash Gordon uh, physical media. So fans. Yeah, <laughs> like myself. <laughs> I can't wait to see that. Just with what you told me about Brian Blessed. Oh, his stories are great. Like I said, that's, that's just a couple of the stories I touch on. Oh, there's another story. I may as well go into it because I've just remembered it now where, like I said, De Laurentiis was very hands-on with a lot of stuff, but apparently he just, for whatever reason, I don't know if he was intimidated or what, but he would listen to Brian Blessed. So he said to Brian Blessed, we have to get you, as as, as, as he says, a sword, a sword. And Brian Blessed was like, what? What's a bloody sword? You mean a sword? <laughs> well, what, do you need a sword? And then apparently Brian Blessed said, no, no, I don't need a sword. The whole idea of Voltan is that he's the toughest guy in the room. He's super strong. He he beats the crap out of anybody without a weapon. That's the entire point. And apparently De Laurentiis was like, oh, okay, big guy. Okay, we'll get you a club or something. All right, calm down. That's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic. I've definitely got to see that. I mean, well, I know I'm knocking on a little now, but I still didn't see this in cinemas. I I wanted to. I remember seeing a TV news report on the opening of it, and the report was stood outside a cinema. I forget which one. It might have been one of the old ABC cinemas. And I remember it had that huge banner outside, you know, the one with uh, Sam in the red top with the floating city behind him. Mm. And, yeah, I, I so wanted to see it. My friend Nigel, who listeners will have heard on the, uh, the Bookaroo Banzai episode, he bought the vinyl single of the Queen theme, and I, I, you know, obviously you'll remember it was littered with lines from the movie. And even though we'd not seen it, it fired you know my imagination even more. And at that point, you know, maybe because it was a UK kind of focus production, it was everywhere. It was shops, TV, uh, it was on cereal packets. Quite ironic when you think about it. Flash Gordon cereal. Uh, well, that's pretty phenomenal. I thought it was really interesting the part that you said. Um, that the the man who played Ming would stay in costume even when he wasn't on camera. Yeah, he was like really professional about it. And a lot of the yeah. actors say, the actors that uh, were in it say like they acted seriously. They didn't think that the film would be, you know, serious. They weren't under any delusions, right. but they said it, you have to play it seriously. Otherwise do. it does just, it comes off wrong. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So, no, absolutely. <laughs> you have to commit to it. And I think that just from an actor's perspective, like being in costume really helps with especially like a really off the wall kind of a character to like be in that mentality and really hold on to it. So. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Like, no, and yeah. yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. And I do love that queen played the the music for this. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
that was another thing. Like everybody says, it's, it's, that music just elevated so much. I mean, it's not that it's bad without the music, but the perfect choice of like the rock soundtrack. And as people say, you've got to remember Queen in 1980 yeah. were were the band. They were huge. Yeah. You know, this was a big coup, and yeah, just amazing. Yeah, <laughs> and when I watched it the first time a few months ago, I was like, wait a second, is that? No. <laughs> sure enough, there it was. I had no idea that Queen were big in America. It wasn't until I watched this documentary, as I said, that a lot of the American contributors were like, oh, this was off the back of Queen had just made it big because they'd released um, Another One Bites the Dust and We Will Rock You and all of those big singles. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, oh, so they had really broken the states as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. But I mean, we were in a bubble here in the UK. We just, as far as I'm concerned, Flash Gordon was a UK production, you know? But, um, That's but fair. Yeah. That is absolutely fair. It's, but yeah, uh, hearing all these Americans that grew up with it as well and were like, I mean, some really famous people as well that they interview at these conventions that are like, look, Flash Gordon, it was formative to my, you know, to my career and my education as a filmmaker. And that's amazing. I can't remember. Of course, I'm forgetting all of them right now, but off the top of my head, I know Robert Rodriguez uh -huh. says that uh, it was an influence on him. A lot of actors like Michael Rooker, Sean Gunn are in there oh, talking wow. about it and stuff. So Stan, Stan Lee talks about how, you know, oh my gosh. it's an inspiration for the first superheroes and stuff. And yeah, it's just incredible. incredible. <laughs> like, I have no basis into the actual comics series, like the comics mm. or anything like that. I've not looked into any of that. So the film is all I've got. And it was delightfully campy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, I think, though, that that, is, it, that makes it kind of faithful to the comic book in a way that these things, a lot of things nowadays are kind of scared to do, to do in that regard, yeah. if, if the comic is like that. Because it is. I mean, it's a 19... 30s 1940s pulp science yeah. fiction comics so naturally yeah. it is there's an awful lot of like fire the lightning death ray use the mind control ring or whatever and you know you can't really you know make that dark and gritty there's only one way to go with it so. <laughs> you gotta commit to it it's fine yeah. <laughs> that's great <laughs> yeah i mean it's funny that dk mentioned one of the people behind the sort of prep of the film was somebody that made the batman tv series because yes the 60s batman and this are very much oh. of a kind you know? <laughs> oh yes i love adam west batman too <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> nothing against the serious versions of batman but there is still something about that one as well that works oh yeah. So, yeah. oh yeah no it's <clears throat> Yeah, that's that's iconic for sure. So definitely. <laughs> oh, bless. Maybe, yeah, maybe I mean, we should go back to some of that more campy stuff for these films. I think if it works, it works. But the problem is that people know that if you miss, then you've made a huge flop. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I think um, DK has some of the audience interaction where somebody says there are things that you could call like spiritual successes to this, and they mention things like Thor Ragnarok. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Absolutely. I, I can see Thor Ragnarok as a successor to Flash Gordon, definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I had to wait uh, more than a little while until it came out on video cassette. Uh, and yes, it was the old Beta Max. I saw it. <laughs> and uh, well, you know, what it, you know what it's like when you're a kid? You rewatch it over and over until my dad had to take it back to the video store. It was <laughs> on TV maybe a year after that. And we recorded it. And it was one of the the go-to movies in on rotation. And you've got to remember back then, Star Wars took forever, and I mean forever, to be released on tape. So mm -hmm. while they made a huge impact in cinemas, it was the, and I use this phrase kindly, knockoffs, things like Battlestar Galactica, Flash Gordon, Battle Beyond the Stars, hell, even Star Crash, that got all the publicity and the, uh, the whole media front. 
and Flash Gordon captured my imagination just as much as, if not more, than George Lucas's movies at the time. I was addicted to the old Filmation animated series, and while canon was a very loose term back in, back then in sci-fi, I do remember trying to reconcile the animated series and the movie in my head. Now, I remember owning a set of vinyl reusable Flash Gordon stickers based on the original strips, <laughs> But it was released to coincide with the movie's popularity. And one of my fondest memories is being at my great aunt's. And she had this huge drinks cabinet. I'm not saying anything about my aunt, but she had a huge <laughs> drinks cabinet with glass doors. And it was ideal for making scenes with these stickers. And I would recreate scenes from the movie on those doors. Oh, wow. Almost as if they were action figures. <sighs> so, I mean, yes, kids, things were much more simple without cell phones. But it's, uh, it's safe to say <laughs> I was pretty obsessed with the movie and it's one of the few films I can I can recite every line of it as it's playing. So what I was going to do before my computer decided, oh, I've had enough of this shit, is uh, just ask, how about you? I mean, I'll start with you, Rune. You mentioned that you, you, you only watched it recently. Yeah. Was, what, so did you just do it for the show or, you know, was it? So I came across it prior to this. Right. No. Um, well, no, I, I knew that we were going to be reviewing this one. So uh, it was on my list of things to do. But I was also taking a film as art class and um, I watched it as my paper for that class. So um, so I, I was like, well, this will give me a great opportunity to like really dive deep into this film and and watch it from the perspective of like an artistic eye, which is what I did. And yeah, it was great. My professor was like, oh, well now I have to watch this film. So. <laughs> I can't believe a film professor hadn't seen it. What are they teaching you people? <laughs> yeah, that's I, can't remember, I can't remember if it is he had never seen it or he hadn't seen it in such a long time. I don't think he had ever seen it, but Glenn, I'm sorry if I'm mis misremembering that. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, that was that was the first time I watched it. I watched it twice for my paper, and then I watched it again this morning. <laughs> All right. I mean, you obviously you move kind of in nerdish circles. So, I do. How much would you say, you know, from across the water? How much would you say Flash Gordon, or at least this iteration, is regarded in the public eye in the U.S. or in genre fandom? In your experience, is it is it just not? Is it just a minor blip? I had never actually heard of it personally until you came and asked me about it, DK. So, <laughs> um, but I have friends who are a few years older than me that um, when I posted about doing this podcast, they were like, oh my God, that's my favorite film. So I think it might be a, a slight generational thing. I was born the year this movie came out. So, um, but yeah, no, it's not one that, that has been on my radar in the nerdy circles at all. And now I've got to really keep an eye out to see if it's just something that has been gone, has gone over my head somehow. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, my husband knew about it, but not a ton about it. <laughs> had, had, he, had he seen it before or? Uh, yes, he had seen it before, but ages and ages. So. And what yeah. was his reaction to it? Um, he likes a good campy film. So oh, he, he, he appreciates that um, probably more than I do. It depends. It depends on the element. Like I, I, I did enjoy watching this, but yeah, he he likes a really good 
campy, goofy film sometimes. So he he liked it. He enjoyed it. Nice it. I'm having to look at it from all these other perspectives because I'm also writing a paper on it and everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, what's this camera movement doing? And what are they trying to say? And <laughs> so, but yeah, no, he he likes stuff like this for sure. But. Nice one. Well, yeah. what about you, Mike? What was your uh, your first experience with this, and what led to your obsession? Oh, no. <laughs> well, that's that's as I alluded to. Mine goes back to my own childhood. Um, I never saw it in cinemas either, by the way. Um, but it's a it's a weird one. My dad uh, is responsible, but not in the way you would think. He's actually the world's biggest Queen fan. So he had like the vinyl, the cassette and everything of the Flash Gordon soundtrack because it was a Queen album. So he, he bought it and he loved it. And as you sort of said earlier, there's so many lines of dialogue and stuff from the film incorporated into those tracks. And on that album that he used to listen to all the way through that he would kind of, you know, jump around the living room, rocking out and then quoting lines from Flash Gordon at me since I was, you know, super young because I was born two years after the film came out. So... I just have very vivid early memories of my dad jumping around giving it like, Gordon's alive. What do you mean, Flash Gordon approaching? Dispatch War Rocket Ajax to bring us his body. And my dad just fully going for it. And then I was like, what is this fucking thing that he's doing? What's going on? So um, if, you, if you're from the UK like we are, DK, you probably know that it became a perennial bank holiday favorite, this movie that was on. Yeah. Every time there was a bank holiday, it was on TV. So I didn't even own it for the longest time. It was just that when it came on, my dad, knowing it from the Queen soundtrack, would be like, oh, Flash Gordon, we've got to watch Flash Gordon. We know all the lines and we, you know, the soundtracks by Queen and whatever else. So I ended up just watching it time after time every time there was a bank holiday because my dad was, he's not a big fan of James Bond, weirdly enough. I, I kind of discovered that by myself as the other thing that was always on on bank holidays. But my dad was very much like we watched Flash Gordon. My mum was very much we're watching the first two Superman films on a bank holiday. So there was, there was a bit of a film education going on there. But yeah, I mean, maybe it's because I was so young when I first saw it. Maybe it was because I had the like the dialogue ingrained in me first. But I just loved Flash Gordon. It captured my young imagination. And every time a bank holiday rolled around and my dad won the argument, you know, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to miss seeing Marlon Brando phone in those few lines, but we'll watch Flash Gordon right up. <laughs> but uh, as people know, Superman the movie is also a huge favourite of mine, by the way. I'm just mocking. But yeah. So, yeah, I just watched it time and time again. But it was the, obviously it was on TV in the middle of the day. We're talking like, you know, three in the afternoon or something. So then, uh, as people know, if you know me, I don't talk about it much, but I do happen to have a film degree. So when I, <laughs> when I was doing a film studies course at university, I was like, I'm going to have to buy my favorite films and own them because, you know, what self-respecting film student doesn't? And I have a student loan I can use now and technically claim it's, you know, <laughs> it's for work. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I did buy Flash Gordon for the first time on the sort of silver DVD. And my mind was blown because I had no idea since it was obviously cut for TV. Uh, some of the like swear words in the extreme moments, it blew my mind because this was like my childhood, like, you know, equivalent of Batman, the TV series of Adam West or whatever. And I just thought it was corny and camp. And then I watched it with some friends who also had the same experience on DVD. And when Timothy Dalton started giving it, oh, you lying bitch, oh, freeze you bloody bastards. We just... <laughs> burst out laughing and we're like we don't remember this bit what the <laughs> what is going on and then the scene when Clytus dies we had never seen that with the eyeballs popping out and the little <laughs> tongue bleeding I was like 
what is this? This is like another world we've just discovered. You know, this is what I love about doing these shows. Uh, I mean, by and large, movies, they come and go, especially these days where, you know, every release is supposedly an event. But you get that odd gem that despite its flaws or how it's looked down by some, it captures the imagination of mm. people and however niche. And it, it just becomes so much bigger than like this 90 minute diversion. And I love, I love hearing that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's brilliant. I mean, with that in mind, I've got to ask you two, uh, what are your general impressions this time? Around? I mean, we'll talk specifics in a moment, but do you think it holds up or do you, you kind of take that view that we're looking at it through a, Nostalgia vision only. I'll let you go first, Rune, on this one. Oh, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> so, um, especially rewatching it today, I was like, "Wow, there's there's some things here that are a little little sketchy, honestly." <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, I would go with the rose-colored nostalgia um, viewpoint of how we would appre- appreciate it now, because there's definitely some things that wouldn't pass um muster i believe with um appropriateness as far as like the way women are treated etc <laughs> so yeah, yeah i will say i had a problem with that as i was w- trying to watch it and be objective this time around yeah it must be like the 50th time or something that i've seen it and as i was watching it this time with that critical eye i was like do you know what yeah that is really it's Probably. iffy and it's a little bit uncomfortable but then i kind of yeah. Whether it's true or not, I kind of convinced myself it's not played as if like this is admirable behavior. It's pl- yeah. played for the kind of satire, the comedy of it, of like get a load of these dickhead men that think that they've got something yeah. that women want, kind of thing. It's not like, and yeah, there's some horrible sort of in- insinuations and hints, but thankfully they don't really come to much in the end. And yeah. like yeah. I said, at the, at the end of the day, these the the people that are doing the kind of the, the more sexist behaviors i think are at least the bad guys you know uh, yeah. for the most part and are at least taught their lesson at the end and the women are very you know they they, they beat them ultimately you know they, they they're smarter they're stronger <laughs> and it's kind of for a film in 1980 that is vaguely revolutionary and again i know you, you guys haven't seen the original sort of um 30s and 40s serials or the original comic books which are very much like you know, this woman in a barely there dress just screams, ah, Flash, save me, and then gets rescued and immediately falls into bed with him. So the source material wasn't the best feminist <laughs> sort of thing anyway, you know. But, yeah. Well, well, I mean, we might as well go straight into it. I mean, you know, the writing. So, you know, do you guys have any thoughts on the on the writing itself of the of the movie? Oh, so many. Again, I'll let Rune go first because I'll be here all day. <laughs> you go ahead let me let me marinate in this one for a few minutes um let's see i've tried to make notes as they went on so i've just said that like to me it is obvious that they know like as i said that they know that they're not making a serious movie but they are taking the acting part of it seriously but even then you can kind of tell they're having fun with it because like i i remembered for example top all being quite serious in this film and there are moments that he is but as i was re-watching it this time i always forget that like he hasn't some of the funniest early lines. So he plays it like, oh, we're, we're in, in threat. What are we going to do? And then you also get him giving 
oh, come on, what are you scared as he pulls a gun on the guy? Like, what are you scared of? What's going on? And, oh, grab your toothbrush and whatever. Come with, come in with me. And I'm like, all right, all right, okay. You know you know what you're playing here, fair enough, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he gets some really cool actual deep lines later on about, like, the resisting the brainwashing and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it – it, and that's the film in a, a kind of a nutshell is that it it toes that line between it can occasionally get a little bit not super deep but a little bit more thoughtful and then there's times when it's just like let's just have a laugh <laughs> yeah. it's i mean it's a bizarre script it's kind of all over the place uh but manny that hodges not only directed it but managed to keep a handle on it something else because weirdly enough when he did work on pretty much an exclusive comedy script uh, when he did Morons from Outer Space later on, he worked nowhere near as well as this. Mm. Kind of, you know, as you were saying with uh, with Blessed, it kind of feels like lightning in a bottle. It just works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I think part of that is that the people, like, you get people like Brian Blessed who are taking it seriously and wanted to always play this part. And you know, he's a Shakespearean actor. He's not that. It's not that he can't act. So he is like playing Voltan with all the gravitas that you would give, you know. He says himself, oh, Branagh's Henry V is is right. It's the perfect version. This is our perfect Flash Gordon. So, you know, he, he's playing it as he exactly would. He's not playing it for laughs or for camp or whatever. He's just enjoying it. So, yeah. And I think um, it's, it's not necessarily writing, but I did want to mention something that one of the production designers say in one of the documentaries, which is that they say, we what we're making, we didn't expect you to believe but we did want you to enjoy. And I think that's like one of the key things of this film. Like it's not, you know, it's not super believable. Let's be honest. There are times when I've referred to this as the world's biggest budget school play, but at the same time, (laughs) it's so enjoyable just to watch. And if you can suspend that disbelief and you're not like, well, that's fake, that's rubbish. That doesn't look right. You know, whatever. Just have fun with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be to be in fairness, we grew up with classic Doctor Who, so we were kind yeah. of conditioned for this kind of thing in a way. Yeah, yeah. And when you look at the the science in the script, it's it's laughable. It's laughable. But you you yeah. don't even care. Yeah. That's the source material's fault because this is a you know nineteen thirties forties comic strip where it was all oh drop the lightning shield, take the rocket ship from Venus <laughs> to Mars, and. Oh, here comes the Spider Woman of Mercury or whatever. So it's like, <laughs> it's it's not gonna be serious because the source material was, it was high fantasy and it was before people knew or cared about real science or anything. It was just mm-hmm. pure escapism. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like they stayed very true to the material, which yeah, yeah, yeah. I praise for that. Then you know, so and I do, I appreciate that the actors like took their job seriously and played it straight and i think that makes them more funny because they they are committed to the role and the and the reality that they're trying to portray so but yeah, yeah. i think uh i think it's like overall like really a fun a fun script to um, I mean, to yeah it, it kind of moves along at a brisk place uh, a does. brisk pace as well yeah you're never I mean, bored you're yeah. never bored Within, I mean, within the first 20 minutes, you're introduced to the protagonist, the situation's explained, and they're in space. Uh-huh. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, said the ex- I said the exact same thing. I said, when it comes to the start of the movie, you just want them to hurry up and get to space. And they yeah. do. Whereas they do. a lesser yeah. movie would be like, oh, we've got to spend this exposition time and we've got to do this and really set up the characters. And it's just like, no, the film is like, look, here's Zarkov, here's Flash and Dale. 
Ming's healing bad weather on us. We're in space. There you go. Yeah. We got there as quick as we could, you know. I can't help but think if it were made today, they'd be splitting it into two parts because oh, there's yeah. just oh. so much going on. Yeah. There'd be a solid hour spent on Earth giving you all of the backstory and the importance and oh, the bad weather conditions. How can we deal with it? And it's just like, no, we're not making flipping interstellar here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a completely different deal this time to do yeah. it now. Yeah. But yeah, nowadays they would definitely try to make this like a trilogy or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I dread them eventually remaking it, although there is, apparently the current talk is that Taika Waititi is close to doing a deal to make a film version, so at least I'm that's okay a good that. marriage, I think, of filmmaker with the yeah. material. Yeah, yeah I'd be okay work. with that. <laughs> I mean, it's also littered with, you know, kind of iconic lines, but obviously they, they mm -hmm. weren't as iconic on the page, and it's very much down to the delivery in a lot of the places. Yeah. yeah. Well, we haven't talked about it, but we kind of did, you know, do our version of it. But what an intro. The fact that it just leaps straight into you with Clytus on board. Ah, oh, there's this planet called Earth. Ah, <laughs> and it's just, it gets you going with the fact that that's an already great scene that then goes straight into that Queen soundtrack. And it's just like, this is exciting already. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They don't try and play it for a mystery. They don't try and draw it out. It, it, it's a classic case of showing and not just telling. And I think it, yeah. it, it, it really can. And when that intro hits, it, it does get your blood pumping. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is, I, I made a note of this because again, it's from the documentary, which I didn't realize because I'm not that I'm all that familiar with the source <laughs> material. I vaguely know it, but apparently in the original stories, Flash is a polo player. And I love the fact that they were like, we're making this movie for American audiences. Of course he's a quarterback. Oh <laughs> you know what, I mean? what a weird change to me. <laughs> <laughs> but then so many people that are interviewed about the movie were asked their favorite scene and they said it was the football fight football scene. Fight. And yeah. I'm like, exactly. And that came from, that, that's got nothing to do with the source. That's just them riffing. And it does, it's really funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I think the performance is silly. I mean, have you, have you got any other notes on the writing? Because I think a lot of this movie's straight down to the performances from the various players. I have a few that I could go through if you want. First of all, yeah, go for it. I, 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 again, you're either going to love this or hate this, but I love that it sets up straight away that Ming is just basically he's pantomime irredeemable cruel when mm -hmm. he's like, um, oh, you're, you're loyal to us, even though you're starving, are you? Okay, just drop on your own sword then. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah, this this has got all the subtlety of a sledgehammer to the face, you know what I mean? But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, we get it. You're, you're a dick. <laughs> yeah, like evil. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> the fact that, again, if, if you're not sure what kind of film you've got here, he then immediately mind controls Dale into basically a softcore porn star. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. I was like, am I watching Flash Gordon or Flesh Gordon at this point? What's <laughs> yeah, it's so <laughs> and all of the stuff which apparently Peter Wingard loved playing, all of the stuff with like Clytus lusting after Aura, comparing like, oh, if only it was your daughter that was doing this. Oh, yes. Oh, oh she loves a bit of torture. And he goes into detail, Peter Wingard, about how he was sniffing this tanky thing that belonged yeah. to the princess. Like, yeah. And almost like, oh, mm, I'm going to get you. <laughs> like, dude, what the heck is this you're doing? But, you know, go for it. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I've mentioned the, the funny kind of swear words that we didn't know about. Um, just some of the lines I think I've written down, tears are a sign of their weakness, which as soon as that line came up, even the first time I saw it, I was like, well, that's going to be a callback later. She's going to cry and be like, see, I'm suddenly much more human now. Right, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> again, <My heart> so, <laughs> changed. <laughs> exactly. I couldn't do this again. Not the most subtle thing, but the fact that when the bad guys are watching uh, Zarkov's memories and see Hitler, and they're like, "Oh no, he showed promise." He showed promise. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. All right. <laughs> oh, and then related to what I was saying about like, there's some really comfortable sexism, but the way that they kind of frame it is almost satirical. So when they say. When Flash is talking to Dale and then says, "Don't just don't do anything, just take him out." Girls know how it's been done to me a few times. Right. I'm like, Flash, what the heck have you been up to? <laughs> yeah. Just constantly got head trauma from being knocked out by girls he's hitting on at parties or something. <laughs> oh, someone was just and, like, uh, and I love this year, this year, like the fact that they kept in. When he's mind controlling and she's all over him, and he's oh, this girl is really turning me off. <laughs> what was oh, that? Sorry, Dale, I didn't mean. Like, Not you. <laughs> what am I watching? Um, That's so the... uncomfortable. <laughs> it's just very uncomfortable to watch. It is, but you have to laugh. You've just got to go like, what? What just happened? Like really? And then they're engaged later, like. <laughs> Like I said, nothing is subtle in this movie. It's like if it can see a thing, it's gonna see it. It's not gonna care. So yeah, I love that. <laughs> on the complete uh, flip side of that, when it got to Arborea later on, and it's talking about that initiation ritual, I was like, yeah. "Is this a riff on Dune? Are they trying to do like serious sci-fi for a second here?" <laughs> Am I misremembering? I know there's something like that in Dune, right, where he's got to like with withstand the pain for so long that's, or whatever to be. That's the box. It wasn't as camp as this. No, it wasn't as camp, yeah. but it's a similar idea of like to be initiated, you've got to, you know, in this case, you can't actually be hit or whatever or feel the pain, but it's a similar idea of like stick your hand in yeah. this hole for as long as you can and then the you'll be a man, I guess. <laughs> it was a, it, it, it's another one of those problems, though. At that point, uh, my mother walked <coughs> past the room and it's got that where it's got all the tree men going, ah, ah. Okay, thank you for saying something about this. Yeah, and I just thought, huh? This does not sound right. It's, it's I don't even notice that. <laughs> oh, man. What kind of movies do you watch? Were you so inured to this kind of thing? Clearly, I was just indoctrinated or something. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I am everything the right hits. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, I, I was focusing too much on that and the fact that Every time this scene comes up, I'm like, this is an 80s, 90s British TV dream team. It's like Crystal Maze and Blue Peter over there on the bloody screen. And then James yeah, Bond walks in. Like, what is going on here? I think it's a really good scene, but the the yeah, the audio kind of takes me out of it a bit because yeah. what is on screen and what he's heard Completely. do come across as two different things. <laughs> on a on that note, <laughs> again, another great line that you kind of have to laugh at. Some people might not like it. I knew you were up to something, but I confess I hadn't thought of necrophilia. Yeah. <laughs> Splash is dead. Like, what? I watched this as a kid. I had no idea what the fuck necrophilia was. When we watched it this time, I just thought, how the fuck did I take that line as a kid? <laughs> I'm telling you, in the 80s, they didn't care. <laughs> and then I've just got the fact that you then cut to like the obvious dominatrix woman whipping aura. And then she there's such a perfect DK, you'll appreciate there's a perfect classic Doctor Who moment where they go, fetch the ball worms, and she goes, Oh no, yeah, not the ball worms. 
was like, that's a Doctor Who audition right there. <laughs> no, not the mind probe. Oh. And then Carla going, we don't like this at all. <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> I'm just going to end up uh, resorting into quotes. So, yeah, I, I do like that it's a, it's a classic kind of coming together plot and it's it's there's good world building and it's all from the source. Mm. So you can see that. But like I said, you've also got, you know, oh, thanks for giving a dumb old bird a second chance. And then the girls have a cat fight because, of course, they do. You know, tell me more about this man, Houdini, when they're <laughs> chained up. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's little fun moments like that. And then again, a similar one when they're all talking about how they've changed. And then Zarkov figures something out and goes, I haven't changed. I love that line. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned the UDK that I was like, I was in it, but I was trying to be as objective as I could. So I already mentioned to you, I was like, why would the Hawkmen, who can fly, have hover cycles? Right. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> You just, you, just think, oh, you head cannon goes. I want to enjoy this. I'm just going to make up some random shit that I'll believe, so I can keep yeah. enjoying it. But there was another similar moment later on, which caught me off guard for a second, and I was like, "Hmm, Mongo's wedding march just happens to be identical to Earth." Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Never mind. They just heard it on the radio or something. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> I noticed a similar thing when they were like in the intro. They and they do the voiceover. And they're like, oh, this is Earth. And they're talking about it. And then they show all the buttons for all the weird, like, all the weather things that they can do. And one of them is an earthquake. Mm. <laughs> <And they're> like, <laughs> Probably wouldn't call it that on another planet. I never but, yeah. actually picked up on that I one. picked up on that because oh, it's a, a small body they call Earth. And then one of the buttons says earthquake. earthquake. It's like, well, <laughs> that was very convenient, wasn't it? Right. <laughs> Not to mention the fact that all these buttons are written in English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> But, you know, that's sci-fi. You have to kind of go with it. Really yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing I said, I've, I've completely forgot in terms of other things that were always cut out on the TV version. When they rip the, like, imager or whatever off the guy who has it over his eyes and there's, like, wires popping out of his eyes and stuff. Another one of those moments where I was like, what is this movie? <laughs> Which I'd never seen until DVD. Was, was that was that cut out then? It was never shown on TV because these things would always be considered like you know too much, so it would cut away from like you'd see them you know heading towards the guy and then and then it would just cut to the next seat. Like I had no idea that um, it's it probably did show this, but I just wasn't focusing, so I had no idea that Carla full on like melts Wicked Witch style in the yeah. corner of the room. I'm like, huh, all right. <laughs> it makes but, me yeah. want to know what version the Queen would watch then. <laughs> Probably the one who's going to fall into the necrophilia shit. <laughs> like, oh, yes, chop off his head. <laughs> Freeze, you bloody bastards. <laughs> Mother, what are we going to watch today? Can we watch something serious? Can we watch the sound of music? Yes, we can. Haha, <laughs> no, just flash gone. No, you're lying, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my. Oh, anyway, <laughs> now that we've officially gotten ourselves off the New Year's honor list. <laughs> yeah, because that was a strong possibility, mate. <laughs> Again, it's become iconic, but that ending with Ming basically like, you know, sucking himself into his ring, and then, you know, he's still alive. We're going to make a sequel. And uh, the very abrupt happy ending, which it's on the documentary, but you told me this beforehand, where they just improvised what was going to happen because they didn't have a clue. So Sam Jones came up with the idea of just giving it the whole, yeah, jumping up and cheering. So I love that yeah. that's just improvised because it's such a cool moment as well. <laughs> uh, oh, and again, funny line, last funny line. 
uh, you know, we're going to have to try and find a way home unless you want to stay. No, I'm a New York City New girl. York it's a little too quiet around here for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yep, New York in the it. 80s was bad. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you were always getting mugged by people dressed as hawks. <laughs> right? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. You just you have to not take it seriously and just go with the yeah. floor, really. But yeah. yeah, that's all my notes on writing now that I've bored the audience to death. <laughs> no, that's, that, that's not boring at all, mate. So, I mean, you know, we've already brought it up, but let's get into the performances. Sam Jones, what's your opinion? <laughs> I'm sad. <laughs> I'm in two minds now that I've watched the documentary because a lot of people praise this performance and say, like, the dubbing over hurt because it doesn't always mesh with the performance that's being given. And I'll confess I had no idea he was dubbed over until very recently. So they obviously did quite a good job. I, I watched this, like I said, all the time as a kid. I had no clue that wasn't just Sam J. Jones's voice. Hang on a second. So... It wasn't? <laughs> no, he's dubbed oh. over. Wow. That's what I mean. Like, he was, he basically went home for Christmas on 78, yeah, 79, okay. whenever they were filming. Yeah. Never got called back to come and do the dubbing because Delamentis was like, oh, I've had enough of this jerk. Let's just call somebody that I know that can do the voiceover work. The voice was the guy from Event Horizon. Oh, Sam Neill? Oh. No, uh, he was the one that kept referring to Latin. Uh, he kept reverting to Latin at the start. And uh, he, he was the one that went to find the, uh, that used the drive in the first place. And then huh. he's on the video. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well done. Yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of the performance, I think it is it's it's not got to be very much, and it is perfect stereotypical all American cheesy hero because that's <laughs> what's required of him. So yeah. Yeah. I like that at the start, when the movie opens up, he seems incredibly optimistic. He's almost <laughs> kind of childlike in this <laughs> innocence, and I love that. You know, as a kid, when you're watching that, you identify with him more than you, you would have say, with mm. even people like Link Skywalker. Skywalker seems jaded in comparison to this guy. <laughs> a lot of people on the doc say that as well, that the part of the joy of it is that you can relate to him because he doesn't have superpowers. He's just a, you know, fair enough athletic, but he's a, otherwise a regular dude. Yeah. And the joy of it is that this, like, ordinary humdrum person in extraordinary circumstances and then still becomes a hero. So as you say, you're looking at it like, oh, wow, if Flash Gordon can do it, maybe I can save the world <laughs> or whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's what um, you As a kid, it's what you imagine being a hero would be like. And for yeah. that, on that performance level, I cannot fault him. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, he's got to be an archetype, and you can't fault him for being that because that's exactly the point. <laughs> so, right, yeah, yeah, that's how it's written. And then so. you come to, I mean, Melanie Anderson, again... She is. She does play to the old style pulp comic mm. heroine. I mean, I've not read the strips, as you say. So, you know, partial well, you... side. She's a yeah. She's a regressive vision at times, and some of the lines are so over the top. It's unreal that you know the Flash. I love you, but but she does get this agency <laughs> to a character. Mm -hmm. You know, more so in my opinion, a lot of the times than Flash. She takes matters into her own hands when escaping. She tries to rally Voltan to the car. She doesn't just sit around waiting for Flash a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because I think distress. I see, I think I, I would say she is a bit too damsel in distress for my tastes. But part of that I think is that Melody Anderson seems like the only person that's not having fun. 
if you know what I mean. Like she, they all play it straight, but she's playing it super serious and not realizing sometimes that she's saying and doing really ridiculous things. <laughs> and I don't know if that's just because she was like stressed out on set and just like I'm gonna give my best performance or I'm gonna get shouted at or whatever else. But I was like, the the majority of what I get from her isn't so much I'm knowingly kicking ass. It's more sort of like ah, Flash, save me or. Yeah, not really much else to her. I mean, in, in this reason, film, fair every enough. Every time yeah. she delivered the, 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 the line, go flash, it made me laugh, and I oh, do yeah. not know why. Yeah. <laughs> She's imitating a cheerleader, because, of yeah. course, that's the only thing a woman can be in relation to a football star is a bloody cheerleader. You know? exactly. But well, that's the thing. It's like went on to quality stuff like Manimal. <laughs> but again, it's really like a lot of the character. I know it seems silly to say it about this film, but a lot of the characters have growth that you can track. And she goes from like dumb cheerleader needing Flash to save her to inexplicably at the end of the film just being a gun toting ninja doing cartwheels and shooting. Yeah, right? like, Where's this coming like... from? <laughs> from the person on the airplane at the beginning who's like, oh no. And then, yeah, it's like, what <laughs> oh, is this? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I've, I've given you my, my votes on uh, my thoughts on Sam and, and Melody. Mm. Uh, Topple. Topple's a strange one. I mean, he's a, he's a fantastic actor. Obviously, from things like Fiddler on the Roof straight through oh, yeah. to being pretty much one of the only good things about For Your Eyes Only. But uh, <laughs> in this, I just get the impression he, re he read the script and just thought, this shit's just going to be fun and set out to be as tongue-in-cheek as possible. I love the Agent Zarkov routine shit that he does mm -hmm. where he keeps making... Come, follow me, dear. <laughs> you know, no, not because of the him. script as such, but just because of his delivery. That uh, you mentioned it before. That speaks to Dale about his conditioning and the Beatles song. And again, that scene. I haven't changed. It just looks like he had a just fun making this. And I get the feeling when he went back to his lodgings at the end of the day, he'd be on the phone to his significant other saying, "You would not believe the shit I'm getting paid for to do it." <laughs> Well, it's funny you say that because I'm going to sound so pompous. But again, in the documentary, they interviewed <laughs> Topol and he's he's talking about how like he used, I don't know if it was from this film, but he used a lot of his, um, you know, Hollywood money to open like a, <clears throat> a refuge for various people like escaping persecution in Israel. And it's like it's wow. for it's for anyone, any kind of social status from the poor to the rich, any religion or whatever. It's basically just a safe haven. And he, you can say he's genuinely like, that's the thing I'm most proud of in my life. And part of me is like, are you if you're acting in films like this as part of you just like just have fun with it and think about how utterly nice it's gonna feel to do a good thing with the money that you're getting to to like you said just i'm getting paid for this shit, you know? so so why not yeah Zarko about, was my favorite like as far as all the characters he was i don't know i always loved him as well genuine you know like yeah. yeah there wasn't a moment where i felt like weirded out by his lines or his performance or anything that he was doing like i felt like he was like pretty like on target for like being an actual good human the whole time i think it's, yeah. it's i would agree but i would say it starts off very off-putting when he's pulling the gun on the guy and he clearly yeah. seems like he's more stereotypical mad scientist but the fact yeah. that it just that is basically ignored as soon as you get into space. He's like, it see, is. I was right, and now I'm perfectly normal. Yeah, and I was thinking about that earlier today, and I was like, well, if you look about it, Kat, it's basically like he understands that the world is under attack and sacrificing this one guy might be better than the entire Earth. 
That's probably the yeah. mentality behind that, which, you know, can be commendable, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I always liked Zarkov because for the majority of the film, he is like, I can't relate to Flash because that's effort. Whereas yeah. Zarkov is the kind of hero that I'm like, I could be that guy. I could just <laughs> right. sit there and, and be like, let's think of good things. Let's think of the human spirit and let's just be intelligent enough to to you know, stay out of shit's way for the most right. part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Achievable. Yeah. Right. right, brings us to Max von Sydow. What's your thoughts? I literally have four words under my notes for Max von Sydow. Gravitas meets scenery chewing. <laughs> That's all I've written. And I was like, I don't need to say much more than that. <laughs> I mean, the character itself, it's its very problematic. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, but that's, again, that's part of the legacy of what this thing is and the fact that everything in that era was, you know, Sax Roma, Fu Manchu, and yeah. then you have the cartoons that inexplicably turn every Oriental villain green for green, no yeah. given reason, you know? Yeah. From I mean, the Mandarin in Iron Man to Ming in Defenders of the Earth, and you're just like, what is going on here? That, that, you, you've touched upon something there, because, you know, mentioning Iron Man, it said there's some roles that you can't imagine anyone else playing, like Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, for me, after seeing this, nobody could be anywhere near as good as Max at playing this role. Definitely. And nobody, I think, could come off without looking super offensive, whereas he, yeah. for some reason, he just doesn't... He, I don't know what it is. Maybe, to, maybe to, it's not fair to say, from my point of view, I'm not offended, because why would I be? But for me, he doesn't seem like he's overplaying it to, like I said, the point of offensiveness. And, like, what do you look like? What are you doing? There's enough performance there that you don't necessarily focus on that. Whereas anybody, as you said, in that costume, giving that performance now would, yeah, you'd be just yeah. like, Ooh, you've been canceled. <laughs> yeah. yeah, You cannot fault his performance. And he is a panto villain right down to wanting to boo and hiss when he's on screen. Yeah. Yeah. And I do love a good over the top character, which he played magnificently. Oh yeah. He just takes some of the worst material and he elevates it. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's obviously, he's obviously such so into what is going on in his daughter's life and these numerous kind of liaisons that she's that she's having with various characters, and it's it's more than healthy. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I, I, there's like a sexual tension between the two of them that is not appropriate. There's a lot of that coming from Ornella Mutti, though. It's like again, I'm trying to make as, as succinct notes as I can, and I'm just like, this is a porn performance. <laughs> That it, it just is like yeah. everybody else is playing it as best they can, playing it straight. The hint of campery, she's just giving a performance out of a softcore porn, and <laughs> there's nothing else to it. And it's just like it's it feels so wrong every time she's on screen because part of me is like, Oh, that's a heck of a costume! Oh, wow, this is, and then it just like it's all right, calm down. Geez, you know, I watched yeah. this with my parents. What the <laughs> what's going yeah. on? Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> watching this with my parents, but I, I can never. I cannot remember how, if I'd have sat watching it now with my parents, I'm a grown man, I'd be embarrassed as shit. I'd be like, <laughs> as a kid, I'm just sat there, legs swinging on the end of the couch, going, this yeah. is great. 
Yeah, and I, again, it's what, like you were saying about the necrophilia line. I was like, how did I used to just either not care or not respond to the whole, yeah. uh, oh, this chick is really turning me on? Like, what, what did I think that was about when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm probably going around the playground back then calling people a necrophiliac and having oh no idea what it meant. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. <laughs> that would be a call this home chick is turning me on. Yeah, there's a wonder. Yeah, I'm wondering why I didn't do that work right at school. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she's she's not just a femme fatale. She is beyond stereotypical, and like I said, it's like, uh, yeah, but, I know she's again, a serious actress. But but again, it's taken to such an extreme that she comes across as such a badass that when she finally kind of takes that hero turn and stabs the guard in the elevator. You kind of breathe a sigh of relief and punch the air because she's finally on, on our side. And at that point, you're thinking, "Oh, our has joined in now. This thing will be over presently." <laughs> I never see her as a badass though, because, like I said, it just feels like she's only there to be a random porn star. And like you said, it's every scene she's in is uncomfortable. Whether it's the hint of incest or the hint of, like I said, the BDSM type relationship she might yeah. end up having with Clytus and uh, the other woman whose name I forget. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, there's, you just get the sense that she's got no life outside of like leather and whips when she's not on screen. And I'm like, what is this woman? What is she doing? You, get, you, know, you get the impression that they were just trying to say, this woman is basically sleeping with everybody. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's not a, it's not it's so it's not it is very problematic again you, 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 oh God. yeah yeah it is kind of implying though that all the women on this planet or this universe whatever are basically sluts because i do remember as a kid being deeply confused and having the line stick in my mind of like when deal comes back in and flashes like oh you look amazing and she goes oh it's just the way they do the eye makeup here i'll have to hope i can remember it when i get home but i'm like what yeah <laughs> what are you talking about you know <laughs> This is a six-year-old boy watching this going, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And why is that even the topic of conversation at that particular moment? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> like, the dude's like, chained up in a dungeon about to die. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah. Great. Bless oh, okay. Because, I mean, oh. it, this, you know, he's a noted Shakespearean actor, but he took this and... He went like kind of full spinal tap and turned it all the way up to 11. It was great. Yeah. I love it though. Fantastic. Because especially oh, when you know that he actually, like, he's, he's not just doing this because he took a look at it and was like, let's be ridiculous. He is playing this with all the passion of yeah. himself as a 10 year old boy playing in the playground. And oh, when definitely. you know that and you watch it, you're like, yep, you're he having the time had, of your life. Yeah. He obviously <laughs> had fun making it. And obviously, yeah. he looks back on it with fondness, having made Gons alive one of one of his own, you know, personal oh, catchphrases. It's the tagline to the documentary I keep talking about. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> are you sure you're not on commission? <laughs> <laughs> I swear I'm not. Let's be honest. The elevated scenery chewing in this to a freaking art form. Mm -hmm. But he's like that anyway. Like he is a beautifully big actor. Like one of my mum's all-time favorite things that she watches constantly is um, I Claudius, the old seventies British miniseries, and he's like that in that. And that is deathly serious. I mean, that some horrible things happening, full-on drama. Everybody's giving it their best, full-on Shakespeare, you know, oh, gravitas. And Brian Blessed is just Brian Blessed because he, he just plays big all the time. He's great. Yeah, he, yeah, he did project a lot, but I think this especially this, gave him license to just be 
Brian Blessed. Yeah. And now everywhere he goes, he is Brian Blessed. And everybody expects that line from him. But he loves it. He loves oh, giving that thing. Yeah, he, yeah. he offers it up to people. And as you said, if it's it's weird that you watch interviews and stuff and you're like, do you know what? Compared to what you're like in real life, this performance is positively restrained. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever uh, see when he uh, hosted Have I Got News For You? I did, yeah. Oh my god, I've never laughed as much in my life. Which what now guy, brings man. us to Timothy Dalton. And I've got to say, I love this guy. He's <laughs> honest. To me, everyone else is acting like they're in panto and he's delivering lines as though he's on stage with the RSC. Mm-hmm. He, he, <laughs> he kind of feels like he's the straight man of the production. Yeah. And the thing is, I can't tell if he could tell at this point. <laughs> He's so out there. And when you're on screen with Richard O'Brien and you're the one that's out there, that's quite <laughs> <laughs> Just picturing Timothy Dalton saying, come with me to the Crystal Dome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. You bloody bastards. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. The bloody bastards line is... The best line in the film. It's how I imagine an eight-year-old would swear <laughs> for his first swear, thinking he's extremely serious. And he walks into a room and says that. And everyone would look, turn around and go, and just point and laugh. And <laughs> done here for the one of the heroes. And everyone just takes it so seriously. And it, it just, oh, it's so absurd. It's so weird, though, because, again, you can't define whether it's just like Timothy Dalton thinking, let's just have fun, or if he's been told, like, improvise something really badass, and he thinks that is his idea of, like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna say, freeze your bloody it'll shock everyone, and instead, the response is just to piss yourself laughing yeah. at him. <laughs> I mean, you can get, you kind of... You know, you can kind of get away with the lying bitch. You can kind of get away with the bastard. Early the necrophilia before. lines a step too far. Like, keep playing your bloody pipes, fool. And <laughs> but when he runs into that, and and there's that like scene after where he picks up that you know gun off the turret, and then just to be extremely badass, kicks over the turret, and then yeah, whips the gun like over his shoulder and everything. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Yeah, I love I love that guy. What what do you what do you think? I've said it all. <laughs> let's let's hear from Rude. <laughs> no, I thought his performance was was really good. <laughs> good. It was it does it's so very straight compared to everything else. And yeah, like it's hilarious. And it just makes it that much more funny, I think. When do you think that this was this was literally like what six or seven years before the man was cast as James Bond? <laughs> Not the back of this, you're just thinking, what what did this? Yeah, you just think, how did he? How did he? How did he end up in that role after this? <laughs> you watch this and then watch the Living Daylights, and they really are night and bloody day. It's yeah, like, that's the same guy, is it? All right. <laughs> but you, you are watching it, and you're just thinking, does he know? Everybody <laughs> else, does he know how he is? Do, do you think they sit around at the Daltons on Christmas and say, "Let's put, let's put Tim on, let's have a laugh." <laughs> I think he knows now because if you watch his performances in things like Hot Fuzz, for example, I think he's able to play up to that idea now and his own like gravitas, you know, over the topness or whatever else. And he, yeah, I mean, he does the comedy thing quite well. I, I don't know. I think 
it was it was very early in his career, and I think, like you said, he was basically just like, I'm going to try and give the best performance I can, and nobody was there to be like, yeah, maybe just... Yeah, you know. it's like, you know, he tapped him on the shoulder and said, look, Tim, this is a piss take. Yeah. 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 Or just like, like just, just have somebody on set to just tap him on the shoulder and be like, Tim, just pitch it like 30% lower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have, fun. have fun. Look at Brian. Brian's over there. <laughs> We're getting on to like the, the more the minor players now, but when you look at them, it's like a who's who of British slash... Or a who's that in <laughs> cult actors. I mean, you've got Peter Wingard, Richard O'Brien. You've got John Hallam, Susan Danielle. Deep Roy. <laughs> yeah, Deep Roy, Kenny Baker, William Hookins, fucking Robbie Coltrane. Yeah. I, I told you he's not on screen, but he was responsible for doing some of the previews for the Hawkmen. Was um, John Altman, Nasty Nick, out of his tenders? Yeah, <laughs> mad. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and this is the thing you didn't you didn't pick up on it because you're not as probably sad as I am. But the surgeon turned out to be Howard from Ever Decreasing Circles. Which is like <laughs> I don't even know what that is. You've got Peter Duncan. Peter Duncan, yep. who's like a kid for, for the purpose of your own. He was a kids' TV presenter. Oh. In Duncan the, Dares, Blue Peter. Yeah, he did a TV show <laughs> called Duncan Dares, where he would go out and like do adventuring things. Like, didn't he? I don't know. Didn't he slide down a zip line from the top of Blackpool yeah, Tower? All kinds of stuff. Oh, I have to. I have to tell. You, I forgot completely to tell you this story as well about the film. When they're interviewing Peter Duncan, he's uh, at a convention and he says that like um, he didn't have that big of a part, but he walked past. He, he saw Timothy Dalton in like Waitrose or something one day. Apparently, walked up to him and just went, uh, "Hey, Tim, you killed me in Flash Gordon." And he says <laughs> Timothy Dalton gave me the most evil, grim, grimacing <laughs> stare and just walked away. <laughs> I, like, I guess, it, I guess it, Tim, Tim had realised by this point in his career. <laughs> <laughs> it was at that moment. Wow. It was just then that I realized I murdered a blue pea presenter. That really yeah. <laughs> But I just I do love the fact that it was pointed out earlier today that it were Duncan Dares, you know, when he'd get into dangerous <laughs> yeah. situations, and here he is sticking his arm in a log to try and get stung by this inflatable scorpion. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys got any other notes on on the, the acting? Oh, just a very small couple. I said, Peter Wingard, I was always amazed by because, again, because of the, growing up with my dad, who was very kind of man's man, I knew Peter Wingard as Jason King, the yeah. kind of suave super spy type. So finding out that he was, because obviously you've got no idea who's behind that mask, finding out it was him. And as you said, the sexy voice bastard. That voice. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's projecting very well through that mask. But then I was just like, as I was contemplating that character, I'm just thinking, is he supposed to be scarred? Because it looks like there's some scarring, like when you can see the flesh under the eyes. And I'm like, is he a Doctor Doom reference, or does he exist in the old Flash Gordon comics? Or is it a little bit around? Kind of thing. From what I can gather, he never existed in the comics, and he was created just for the movie. Huh. Yeah. The only other note I had was on um, Mariangelo Malata, who sadly has passed away, who played Carla. Um, I just said that, like, again, you kind of look at how everybody's playing their performance, and she's perfect because she's deadpan, and that's exactly what that required. And again, that, this was my first exposure to the film, was, like, hearing her deliver the deadpan lines about, like, open fire, 
full disruptors dispatch war rocket ajax to bring us his body and i'm just like what is this this is fascinating to me because it's my first exposure to fully deadpan acting you know <laughs> we are going to empty your mind as if we would empty your pockets <laughs> yes exactly yeah level six yes <laughs> She was she was a great hard hand kind of a person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a thankless role, and it's a very minor, you know, number ten on the call sheet. But yeah, it's still so well played. You know, it's kind of you've got to do it to keep that idea alive. You know, and uh, yeah, I just like I said, the fact that she's in the pivotal kind of climax of the film, the way that Flash is ramming the lightning shield and everything, and she's the one that has to be. Ah, oh, you will never get through. Ah, oh, no, bugger, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, she reminds me a bit of the um the Froline character from um Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> that character is clearly based on Rosa Kleb, but yeah. <laughs> Just saying. I've come to embrace the love that dare not speak its name, Emperor <laughs> Me. Me and your daughter. <laughs> oh my, we've opened a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I awakened my desires as I was whipping her. Turns out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what kind of dark oh, fantasies do you have? <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> uh, we'll move on to the uh, the direction then. Any of you guys, what do you guys think of uh, Hodges directing? <laughs> uh, I think it was... Um... Well directed, <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, because the um, like you have this like these couple of cast members that are playing things like just so straight or deadpan, as, you know, and then these other ones that are just like we're gonna have a good day, we're gonna have fun, and they just kind of let that meld into each other. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> it's 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 weird because like yeah as you're saying i don't think he's necessarily a performance kind of director yeah you do kind of get the sense he's like let's just get to the end of this day of bloody <laughs> filming and get something in the can and do what you want <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed how it came together to go from get carter and then end yeah. up in this madness it's yeah, just... but it's it's weird when you learn that like he's as the director, obviously he's doing the technical things. So like he is responsible for the way that the sky looks because it is like a really cool idea of they dropped different colored liquids into water yeah. and then just yeah. left them a day to kind of melt together. And that's such a cool idea. Or like the fact that they used inflatable bike pump type things for uh, for the spikes, so it was safe during the yeah. fight where Clytus yeah, gets yeah. killed. You know, and like these are the things he would have had to think about on top of like whether or not Timothy Dalton's putting it a bit too far, you know? <clears throat> so you've got to admire him for that. And the fact that, like I said, it's not necessarily him, it's the production design, but the way that it just looks bright and colourful and it does, it, it captures that childlike imagination that you imagine a, a story like this should. Pure escapist, comic book, whatever you want to call it, fantasy, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It, it, it's, yeah. It's dreamlike almost, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I do like how there's some shots that's, that, that seem like they come straight out of the kind of 50s pulp sci-fi type things like when it yeah. cuts to Zarkov's greenhouse at the start and mm -hmm. uh, later on when they land on Mongo and it cuts to the outside of uh, Ming's fortress together with that music it's really got that kind of it does feel like a, a 50s pulp movie shot in the 80s to me mm -hmm. yeah yeah very much yeah yeah <clears throat> 
like there's even things like like you said like the creature design is is very 50s so the the, the weird inflatable scorpion or the the audrey 2 that eats the yeah i mean it's 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 not to be taken. Like I said, it boils down to you're not supposed to believe it. You're just meant to enjoy it because yeah. we're not fooling anybody that this is reality here. There are some really good shots in there, I think, though. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, it looks gorgeous just for being colourful. And... My, my favourite my shot in the film is that at the end where you're looking outside into the, the war rocket and everything's on fire and, hmm. you know, Flash's pilot in it. I, I think that's a beautiful setup. It's not unique, a unique opinion, but I love what I currently have as my thumbnail thing like on here, which is, again, maybe it's just because it captures that childlike dream type quality, but in those like gorgeous skies when you've got all of the Hawkmen flying and then flash on the hover cycle, hero pose, you know, le leading the way on a flying car type thing. It's it's just really cool. You know, This yeah. was the film that, like I said, probably, it, it, this might be very responsible for my love of comic books and sci-fi and all the things that have come to really define me as a person. And imagery like that, I can probably point to as being a Rosetta Stone in my life of like, how cool is that? You're not going to see that in Howard's End. <laughs> yeah. See, I love that tribute scene as well. When they've just walked down that corridor, they end up in it mm -hmm. and it's... You almost empathise with them because you've got no idea what's going on, but you know it's not good. Yeah. Definitely. Together that with yeah. the uh, the you know obviously the on the nose Nazi imagery that comes later yeah. on when you've got the troopers, you know, in a single files. Not single. Oh files, yeah, I mean, they're all stormtroopers. Yeah, the, storm the, the yeah. I think he's. I think he's done a really good job. I will say as well, at the risk of completely destroying Rune, that um, when it got to some of the torture things, I was like, this guy should have just directed Fifty Shades of Flash. Oh my <laughs> this, God. Is, this is what we're making here at this point, isn't it, really? <laughs> Maybe I think you rather enjoyed that. I am enjoying what he was doing. There is so much coming to light about how your mind works, Mike. It's like, I've known you for a, a couple of years now, and, and there's like little light bulbs going off every now and then going... <laughs> Ah, now it's I told you, clear. man, it's this film. We've discovered, a, a, you know, a, a side piece in the jigsaw that is my life right now. Jesus. <laughs> this film is going to be used in the trial. <laughs> what trial? Oh, when, this is gonna is, be... it, when it's there, it will be exhibit A. <laughs> this is going to be pivotal to the Netflix documentary, isn't it? <laughs> 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 oh dear lord no seriously I, I i like the fun aspects i'm over i'm over exaggerating some of the ridiculousness but you can't ignore that it's very much got that edge like i said of uh what is it why is it doing erotic barbarella things I, I, <laughs> is it I just do, I'm, well I'm, it's obviously you've got your uh delarentis vibe there because mm. he did uh you know barbarella but i do think as far as you know it, the uk goes it's kind of yeah, allowed it to flourish. I mean, we're, after all, we're the home of the, you know, the cheeky seaside postcard and the Carry On series of movies. Yeah, the Carry On films. This is this is Carry On in outer space quite yeah. a lot of the time, isn't it? Really? Yeah. It is. <laughs> it's it's laden with not so subtle innuendo at times, and but <laughs> cinema goers at that point in the UK were kind of used to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. True. It does have that, yeah, it's weird because I was, again, I was talking to Rune about this when you weren't on, on air and it's kind of like, this feels like such a British movie and yet you, it's it's not. I mean, it's got American stars and you hear a lot of American people say how influential it was to them 
as a kid and stuff, but I've always thought of it as a British movie because, like I said, the, the, the sheer number of British actors they have just because they filmed here, so it was easier. But, you know, you see Timothy Dalton, Richard O'Brien, Peter Duncan, and you just think, like I said, the, the tone of it is just so weirdly either high camp or satire that it's just, there's something peculiarly British about it to me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there is. And as I say, I think it stems from maybe us growing up with classic Doctor Who. It does sometimes yeah. have, a very, have a very make do and mend approach. Yeah. I mean, when, when you look yeah. when you look at the the tribute scene at the start, it's not it's it wants to be the cantina scene from Star Wars, mm -hmm. but it's not. It's Doctor Who. It's, no, it's just, better. Well, it is. <laughs> To me, to me I, I think it's great. It's it's a, just a lot of people in just very extravagant clothing because that's as far as the budget would stretch. But because we've grown up with that kind of Doctor Who vibe, I think our brain automatically goes, oh, they're in a different clothing. Aliens, cool. Anyway. Yeah, I always thought this film had... Um... It always felt very Rocky Horror to me. <laughs> like, Yeah, it does, yeah. actually. It exactly. does, which, I mean, it that is, again, that, that the whole British humour kind of a thing, so... Yeah, you can almost picture them breaking into song on more yeah, than one occasion, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, they don't, but yeah. Yeah, so when I watched it the first time a few months ago, I was like, this, this definitely like has this re weird Rocky Horror vibe to it. And then Richard O'Brien popped up, and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> no, <laughs> who wrote this? <laughs> it's the, the one thing missing from this movie, and it's a criminal omission, is Tim Curry, because he would have fit in perfectly oh, with <laughs> He would have been a brilliant Ming. He might have been a Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. But yeah, no, you're right. Tim Curry should be in everything. Legend. Yeah. <laughs> Adore him. <laughs> I yeah, I can't fault the production design on this. Yeah. Going on from the, the costumes and stuff. I just think it's yeah. It's absolutely beautiful to look it at. Is. It's it is. It's extravagant and colorful and like I said, I've got the note down under like SFX production design. I've just said it's like the as I've said, it's like the most lavish school play ever, and I don't yeah. care, and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And cool. um, I will say, if you're if you're a nitpicker for this kind of thing, the 4K restoration does finally remove things like the wires and stuff that you can see <laughs> up to like that version. So if that does bother you, which it doesn't always for me, but it's good to know that that's done at least, you know. Interesting. Um, yeah, I love that it brings out the vivid colors as well, and the fact that. The comic book art was a cool touch. I mentioned already to you, DK, at the start. It was the first time before Sam Raimi Spider-Man or whatever when it was like, this is based on a comic. So let's have yeah. the opening credits play over those actual comic book art by yeah. the original artists and stuff. You know, it's it's fantastic. And, and like we were saying, you know, aside from Superman, this is pretty much the, the biggest comic book movie and one of the first comic book movies to come out. So I think it yeah. kind of set that tone, at least for a little while. Definitely. And I know you compared it to um, classic Doctor Who, but I would say... I didn't get into Doctor Who as much until I was a little bit older. But one thing I would compare this to is Jerry Anderson, because you look at the rocket ships and some oh, of the performances, yeah. and this is very Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet, you know. And I think that was that was probably what was appealing more to me as a kid, because yeah. and let's be honest, some of the actors wouldn't have to be. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like spaceship designs and the stuff. It's like it it looks like models, and it looks silly if you want to look at it that way. But at the same time, as a kid, you're like, this is. Adults playing with their toys in the same oh, cool yeah. way that I could. Yeah. Yeah. You buy into it completely because, you know, you don't have that critical eye as such. Yeah, just, exactly. You, you suspend that disbelief so much easier. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And, but on the other side of that, I mean, when you see the planetscapes, 
they're gorgeous. They look oh, like something out of a, a Franzetta painting. You know, it's like wow. the matte painting work on this is yeah, just amazing. And I'll, the I'll hawk floating that. palace, the hawk's yeah. floating palace is gorgeous, man. <laughs> and you can stretch that out to say, you know, when they're uh, being uh, dragged into the portal at the start in the rocket, and mm. they're using much more of the, you know, the inks in in the water kind of thing, and it still looks stunning. Yeah, it works. It does. Yeah. It really does. Sometimes overly CGI, as people have, you know, it's not a unique opinion, but people have said for a while, oh, too much CGI can just hurt it. And sometimes the old ways do just look better, I think. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, in terms of I'm, the production design, though, I will say one step too far. Why does Flash Gordon have the snazziest gravestone ever when they're planning on killing right? I was thinking that. Like, oh my, my God, they've even got his logo. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they've flown rhinestones. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you're like, yeah, definitely sponsored by the NFL at that point. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is kind of a comment as well. No matter how kind of loose it is, it is kind of a comment on authoritarians decades before, say, like Jojo Rabbit came on the scene. So it's interesting to me that Taika Waititi considers himself a big fan of this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you, you heard my, when I was talking, uh, reading the Mike Hodges quote, when he says in some of his more, you know, cheeky moments, he says that it's about US foreign policy. You know, an American just barges in, Fs everything up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't even say it treads a fine line because for the majority of the runtime, it's just stamping all over it. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey. But the, I mean, the takeaway is, at the end of the day, as far as directing goes, no matter what you read into it, it's all valid. The, the only thing that it isn't, yeah. to me anyway, is boring. It's, yeah. it's yeah. just fun from beginning to end. And I think the pacing yeah. is spot on. It really is. Yeah. Like I say, I'm under no delusions that it's great. And it's like, sometimes I'm, you know, if, if I love a film or the way it is and I can see the artistry, I'm like, how can you not see that this is brilliant? Whereas this is a film where... You could tell me that this is absolute trash and you wouldn't give it one star, and I'd be like, fair. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I love it. You know what I, mean? I, was, I was the same when you said Buckaroo Banzai, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, again, I didn't grow up with it, and if you don't have that connection, you just don't, you know? <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. But you, can, you, can act, you can love something and recognise it as not being great at yeah. the same yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, which kind of brings us to the the FX and the model work. Which to me, I mean, yeah, it occasion. Looking at it from this point, it looks a little hokey. Yeah. I already said my piece. It looks like Thunderbirds, which is perfect for me. So. Yeah. But it, but again, you, you're not hundred percent sure if they're deliberately going for that hokey 1930s, 1950s pulp sci-fi vibe and thinking it looks a bit fake. Yeah, it, that'll do. That'll do. You know. Yeah. Then again, I mean, again, you—it's hard to imagine now and to place yourself in there. But in 1980, all of the stuff you were watching was a bit like that because even the kids' shows. I mean, I was watching stuff like Button Moon, which was the most like they—they they just used a baked bean tin and a funnel to represent a spaceship, and then pulled it via a visible wire to a button, and you were like, hey, "Wow, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen." Did you ever see Captain Zep? I didn't know. <laughs> oh, God. The entire special effects budget on that was just a series of illustrations. <laughs> it 
it kept you thinking, I want to see the aliens. I want to see the aliens. It came out, that, that's a drawing. <laughs> <laughs> These aliens are two-dimensional. Shush. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, we expected a lot less. But even back then, I can remember, you know, you look at that wall, uh, War Rocket Ajax scene, and you, think, and you just think, those are action men. You know, when they're getting kicked off the wing and into space, you just... That's the charm for me, though. That's the thing. It's oh, like, that's the one you thing. You can criticize that, I, that but I just love it. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing that lets it down for me. Although when I were a kid, I didn't want, I did want those costumes for my action men. Mate, you're a Transformers fan. You're used to watching half-hour toy adverts. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the CG CGI God, the effects are definitely super campy, but also like appropriate. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, to the to the to the content. I do wonder if it, if when it was released, there was like a series of kids toy merchandise where it was like, because again, it was before I was born, so I didn't live to see if there were adverts that's like, now you can have your very own hover cycle. Become right. Flash Gordon. <laughs> oh no, no, trust me, I looked. <laughs> I I wanted it. the closest thing that's you out. could get. The closest <laughs> thing you could get to Flash Gordon action figures was little cardboard stand-up characters on the uh, from packs oh. of Weetabix. Oh wow! Somebody needs to get on that. Somebody needs to make models of War Rocket Ajax. I say models, I mean toys of War Rocket Ajax and the Hover Cycle. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody appreciates that Hover Cycle. <laughs> I really, I, I'm, I'm obsessed. Again, <laughs> as a kid, though, it is. It's like it's the same way that all, all children are like. In the future, we're all going to have jetpacks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 Or the. Yeah. Uh... I mean, it's, it does have far from perfect, you know, CSO on occasion, but for the most part, it still looks good. And and I know it sounds stupid. I still think those laser bolts look nice. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because they're tangible. CGI is just unreal. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a big practical effects person. It's... Absolutely. Yeah, I think we're preaching to the choir probably by people listening to this podcast. <laughs> but, uh, uh, we uh, they're probably, they're we've been talking half an hour ago, mate. For you know, say, we've, we've been talking for weird predilections. <laughs> We've been talking for so long now, like I'm going to have to cut this probably right down. And we haven't really talked about Queen yet. Well, we're getting there now. <laughs> <laughs> we're on to the sound design and the soundtrack. So okay. go for it. What can you say? It's Queen. It's legendary. It's what got me into the movie. <laughs> it fits perfectly. <laughs> if you try and imagine the War Rocket Ajax fight without Queen or the football fight, they just they wouldn't work. The intro, like you said, the way that that pumping thing comes in right after uh, I like to play with things. Ha, 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 ha. It's so damn high energy and yeah I'm, I'm a queen fan so i would love it but it's this that made me a queen fan yeah <coughs> wow okay fair enough that's cool i mean it's extravagant but, I mean, but uh, and it is it is a lot of the time it's over the top but i think it captures the tone of the movie perfectly i mean we spoke about it in a uh an earlier episode but people by and large think those 80s power soundtracks began with things like top gun and rocky four if you're going to mm. be honest, as good as they were, they were standing on the shoulders of giants. To me, this this is where it began, and it's still well, one of the best best soundtracks ever recorded. It's very comparable in that way to I know people may mock, but the the most recent cult episode we did on Transformers the movie, yeah, it's like that eighties rock soundtrack is doing quite a bit of heavy lifting at times as well. So, 
Yeah, this uh, this is another thing that you could describe as a rock opera almost, you know? Uh, yeah. And, uh, I yeah. love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, like roommates, <clears throat> you, almost, you almost at times expect them to break in a song. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I will say it's not just Queen, though, because Howard Blake doing the, um, you know, the actual score. Yeah. Fantastic. And when you realise this is the guy who did The Snowman a few years later. I know. It's like iconic man you know I mean? there's some uh, really yeah. good bombastic pieces in there by blake and uh, yeah. stamps it to me firmly in that again i'm, yeah. I'm going back to that 50s pulp sci-fi thing i mean yeah, i'm one of those people that feel if the score isn't very good then it can ruin the whole thing yeah. but he, mm. he does a fan, fantastic job yeah and it's another ex a great example of, of many where I think you can listen to either the score or the soundtrack independently of the movie and enjoy them as their own thing without having to, you know, oh, I'm picturing the movie now because they're just that good. <laughs> Definitely. Know? And if, if I think back to, you know, as I was saying earlier, with regards to the single, we heard the single and we heard the dialogue, from, mm. on my part especially, where, and we'd no idea, we got nothing to connect it to. And there is a tendency when you have stuff like that that when you finally see the scene where that dialogue is contained, that it yeah. could be a disappointment. But the movie is so kind of out there and over the top and extravagant, it just blows away your own imagination anyway. Mm -hmm. I had to live with my dad's performance of it over the top of anything <laughs> that you could actually hear, so everything was going to be an improvement. Um, I feel like you have, like, comfort food, and but British television is, like, comfort television. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I grew up on original Doctor Who too, and it was like yeah, a very yeah. big awesome. favorite thing of for me. And so, like you know, yeah, but that's like, that's the thing though is that I, I'm encouraged by hearing somebody like Taika Waititi might do it because yeah. he's not British, but he has that New Zealand kind of outsider yeah. sensibility. And if he, if he applies the same kind of low budget but funny that you have in like what we do in the shadows, for example, oh, but to a sci-fi context, like instead of horror. Yeah, that could be something really special. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't let it end up going to like McG or Michael B or something that would ruin it. You yeah, know? Let's yeah. have a voice yeah. to it. You know, he's Great got such rapper. an authentic um, love for what he does too. So yeah, it really shows Definitely. through in his projects. Mm -hmm. Big really what we do in, in the Shadows fan. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> love it, love it. <laughs> right, DK. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon we've pretty much covered almost exhausted every aspect of the movie at this point, though. Yeah, I know Mike will probably make this podcast another three hours long if we didn't get a rain on things. But we do have to move on. But before we do anything else, either one of you thinks is worthy of attention that we haven't discussed anything that you'd like to point out personally? No, I've lost my voice from talking too much about this. People, people are just now listening to this going, I think I get the impression he likes this bloody movie. <laughs> I feel like I feel like just listening to you love this so much. I have a better appreciation of it. So, oh, that's what we like. And I feel like I really I missed so. out on like y'all's childhood, like <laughs> whatever is happening over there with this. <laughs> I feel like I've been denied that. <laughs> so. It's really, it's really not worth it just to enjoy this movie. Yeah, we, we still have to live through Thatcher, so I, I won't. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. <laughs> exactly. They stole yeah. our milk, but they did at least give us Flash Gordon to watch. Yeah. I guess that was the trade-off. You know? Swings and roundabouts, really, isn't it? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I've Trump, so. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
moving on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've got to say, I've loved the conversation that you've both brought today. What with mm. uh, the last episode on Transformers on this, I really do feel like a kid let loose in a Aww. in a toy store when I do these episodes. And consider I'm I hope the audience enjoys it just as much as me. Then uh, you could take that to the bank. Are you? Are This is a good one. <laughs> So, with that in mind, we'll take a look at our own uh, personal selection of highlights with our favourite section. And by now, those who have been with us before know the drill. It's the part where we go around, give our favourite character line and scene from today's movie. And being the latest cult survivor, we'll go to you first, Rune. If you had to pick a favourite character from the movie, who would that be and why? Uh, favourite character was definitely Zarkov. Um, I just felt like he was such a genuine character from top to bottom. And he never like, he never made me uncomfortable, like Aurora or somebody, <laughs> you know, like he was just, he was always a delight on screen and I appreciated him. So yeah, Tarkov all the way. Nice one. Um, what about you, Mike? I know this is going to be a difficult one for you, but who's the standout? <laughs> yeah. I, sh I, sh I share the opinion of Brian Blessed. I think it's Voltan because he has a bit of an arc. You know, he starts off, you're not sure if he's on the side and then becomes the ultimate hero. I think it's a great performance. It's perfectly pitched for the film that it is. And yeah, by the end, he gets the kick-ass hero moments. And we, I defy any any Brit who grew up with this to tell me that they didn't, at least, at least at one point or another, scream in their living room, Gordon's alive! Along <laughs> with the screen when that line came up. So yeah, full time for me. Nice one. For... Uh... For the reasons I've mentioned before, and as much as I love the enthusiasm shown by many in this cast, I'm going to have to go with Baron. He's, I've never, <laughs> and I never thought I would say that. He's a moody All son right. of a bitch, but for good reason. And it's just nice to see a, a kind of character redemption act sort of played out. Plus, I just, as I said, I just love the hell out of Timothy Dalton for his delivery in this. Yeah, I can see that's the thing. I, I don't think there's a character that anybody could say that could pick that I would go, really? Like, <laughs> Everyone in this is going to be somebody's favorite because they're great. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> um, right, favorite scene. What about your favorite scene? And again, we'll uh, we'll go with you, Rune. Favorite scene. I'm going to go with um, the battle it out scene between Baron and Flash on the mm -hmm. tilty stage into the <laughs> abyss. That was my second choice. Was. <laughs> it was my second choice as well. It was so was, close as well. It was yeah. such an intense like thing. And then all of a sudden you got like spikes happening and <laughs> and Flash Gordon still helps him back. Yeah, I love that though. I love that hero moment of like, yeah. even though he's trying to kill you, it's like, Man. this is what humanity is, Baron. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that, that's that's fun. It reminds me of um, like watching Battle Bots. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, uh, Mike? What's your favorite? My, my ultimate favorite, with that being a close second, would definitely be, as I've already alluded to, just because I love it the Flash and uh, the Hawkman attacking. Uh, you know, the war rocket and the lightning shield and flying through the skies. And as a kid, this was, like I said, this might well be the defining moment where I was like, you know what my genre is going to be? Science fiction. Because I just want to watch <laughs> shit like this for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's fair enough. I can fully get on board with that. Again, it was the fight between Flash and Baron was a close second for me. But as much as it ends on a downer, I just love the football fight. 
it's, yep. com it's completely absurd. And if it was, it, it would see so many people walk out of most movies. And go think, Flash, go! Yeah, <laughs> I think it's at this point it clicks what this movie's about. And in that moment, <laughs> you almost decide subconsciously that you're out or you're in. And I was just all the way in. <laughs> My favorite part in that scene was Voltan, like just like on the sly helping out yeah just helping flash smacking out. him at the back of the head yeah, like, just like, <laughs> a tripping guy <laughs> and then the little person the little little tiny person that was like poking him with a spear that was great yeah <laughs> stick his sword in his ass and then he gets up, stamps on his foot and he's just giggling at the same time Math chaos it was great yeah oh, okay brilliant. so yeah favorite line and again over to you Rune. Um, my favorite line was uh, Voltan saying, My thanks to you. Yeah? What for? Well, for giving a dumb old bird a second chance. That's not my choice, but I just love that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can pick so many. I've given, you, I've given you a load of the comedy gems throughout the discussion, but um, I have to go with you. I can't imagine. As I was going under, I started to recite Shakespeare, the Talmud, the formulas of Einstein, anything I could remember, even, even a song, song from, from the Beatles. Beatles. It armored me, girl. They couldn't wipe those things, things away. away. You, you can't, can't beat the human spirit. He's a good little, yeah, and I love how he delivers that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just gonna simply go with freeze the bloody bastards. Freeze! And again, it's not the line itself, but just the way he delivers it. <laughs> right, so we'll get to our conclusions in a moment, but before that, as it's the Lord does more. <laughs> yes, yes, it never ends. We're going to the uh, the audience participation section. So, as always, a, a big thank you to everyone who took the time out of the day to give us their opinion. I know we say it often, but your participation really does make the show what it is. And we're always grateful to you folks out there for joining in. And we'll start with Sandy who, uh, on our Discord. And uh, she says, as a Gen X, I remember watching this movie unironically. It was original and fantastic, and it came on a lot of my grandmas on HBO. This and Clash of the Titans were some of the many movies coming out meant to fill the gaps between Star Wars and Superman. But Flash was just so extra and out there, taking the professional football player next door and thrusting me into the hero's role and some really outlandish and wild situations and characters which were all really unforgettable. I remember enjoying it as a kid, though, and I really feel the music was a big part of helping it reach its cult classic status. She also says... Uh, where is it? Uh... I was working at the time in a male-dominated field. Is this is, this is talking about Flash? Am I? I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's find out together. Yeah. The movie just made me feel so powerful. I loved the music and everything. It made me feel like my only limits were in my own mind, and all I had to do was just want it. I had to be young again. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I'm certain I could recite every line still. So I think yeah, let's about Flash. Uh, Adrienne from the Discord says, back in the stone age of cable TV, way early 80s, there was something on TV here in LA and we had it. This movie was on at the beginning. I remember seeing it and thinking it was costumey. Clashes the Titans was much more educational. Yes, I was quite judgmental as a kid, 
Later, the movies changed and lots became available, including the original Poltergeist. But I'll always remember our neighbour coming over to watch Flash Gordon. He couldn't believe we had it. Uh, Magdalena Art on, I believe it's Mastodon, says, Hey, I saw this in the theatre. I recall my dad was not impressed. Uh, <laughs> Stephen Sharp says, Bit late to comment for the pod, but uh, I agree. It's one of my favourite films. I got the special edition for my uncle of my. Well, I got the special edition off my uncle. Yeah. For my thirteenth birthday, and then he's strangely posted a picture of the softcore porn parody Flesh Garden, which I'm oh, not sure. I thought that wasn't what he got on his birthday. Yeah, that, that, that's <laughs> an understanding family. Uh, wow. Our very own. Uh, Timeless Journey says, Gordon's alive. To be fair, I never saw the film before until I married a nerd. But Flash Gordon's grown on me over the years. It's classic sci-fi, almost like from the uh, 1950s, and doesn't take itself too seriously, which always makes for a fun movie night. Uh, Jamie Young, who I believe was on, is one of your friends. That's one of my friends. Hey, Jamie. Yeah, yeah he says, hands down, one of my favourite films. And yes, I saw it in the theatre when it was first released. Wow. Now, Rick on over on the Facebook says, it's probably daft and brilliant fun. And that's soundtrack. Like <laughs> Chapman also on Facebook says, absolutely astonishing, enormous fun. Hadn't realized quite how incredibly deviant it was till I watched it with my partner. To the point where me obsessively watching it as a child started to be weird. <laughs> Look, looks incredible on the relatively recent 4K Blu-ray set. Mm-hmm. Possibly killed Brian Blaster's desire and ability to act, as he's never oh, no. been the same since. Wish it added several sequels, Lion Men of Mongo, anyone? And it certainly would these days. Spiritual successors, Dungeons and Dragons, and Thor Ragnarok, and it has a stonking score. Uh, Robert Lunt says, I hear you declined your last meal. Chef will be displeased. <laughs> uh, you haven't heard anything until you heard Brian Blaster do Gardens Alive in real life. Duncan Dares and Soft Porn for Dads. It's a great film. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. It is Soft Porn for Dads, isn't it? <laughs> and Dean says, Brian Blessed and Timothy Dalton chewed the scenery and owned this film. Watching it, you regret when either of them is not in scene and get excited when they appear again. It's a perfect storm of cheesiness, old school effects, and fun. The Queen soundtrack feels like an 80s version of a 1930s movie orchestra, in my humble opinion. So, yeah, uh, safe to say that most people just really do like it. So uh, now we know what you think. It's time to find out how Flash ranks amongst those of us here. And as always, we'll begin with our guest. So, Rune, what are your thoughts on the movie? And could you round it off with your score out of five for Flash? Uh, thoughts on my thoughts on the movie? Is that what you said first? Yes. Um. Man, I feel like I got this whole new like passion for it. <laughs> I, I, I'm so sorry for just railroading you through this interview. No, it's basically like I have drank the Kool-Aid at this point. <laughs> I might go put it back on now. I don't know. I've got to find this documentary and everything. So yeah, like oh, I have yeah. a whole new appreciation. I definitely have to rewatch it. Um, so I would rank it. I'm going to give it a seven, but creeping into an eight right now. Yeah. We, do, we do out of five. So that, let's oh, work out of the five. math. My bad. Sorry. <laughs> Did 
didn't translate. <laughs> That's okay. We can we can do the maths on it. So if what we, we say three point three point five, maybe. <laughs> that sounds solid. <laughs> but no, yeah, it's definitely a really fun watch, and and I there are, are I appreciate the camp out of it for all of that, and the special awesome. effects are just a lot of fun, and the fact that Queen did the music for this is just mm. like that makes it all the better so yeah awesome Solid so just to clarify one. you're happy to go with 3.5 out of 5 almost <laughs> four but not quite almost <laughs> a four almost a four fair enough so nice one go for it then mike let's hear oh it. my next okay um sorry well, my conclusion to tends next, to then we can end on you because you're the most positive one here yeah, actually, you you go for it. <laughs> Mine okay. sounds like a review from a film magazine. Anyway, it's so pompous, but never mind. <laughs> uh, right, this is mine. Uh, I thought this was going to be a difficult one. So many times you can revisit something that, as a child, you thought was the bee's knees and realize that you originally thought was awesome, turns out to be nothing more than mediocre, held together by nostalgia and hope. So I returned once more to this with caution, already accepting of the fact that by the end I would have chalked another one up to my being young. What actually happened was that immediately afterwards, I texted Mike with three words, movie fucking bangs. Aww. A wise man once said, don't think, feel. And while I fully admit that my love for this is simply down to those feelings it instilled as me as a child, however weird they may be, like I've said numerous times in the past, we like or dislike things based on what we ourselves bring to the table. And it's impossible to judge anything without that personal experience, especially in a movie like this. My own... This movie makes me feel all kinds of good. It could have been po-faced, gritty attempt at emulating the Raymond comic strips of old, but while it keeps the spirit of sci-fi pulp adventure, it gives us so much more. It's colorful, it's camp, it's childish, it's a panto, it's a social commentary, it's thrilling, it's horrific, it's sexy as fuck. It's full of performances from people that are enjoying it immensely, surrounded by a crew that cares about what they're putting together, and it has one of the greatest soundtracks ever written by musicians at the top of their game. It's deep, and at the same time, it's utterly shallow. It's so rich and exuberant that it shouldn't work at all. And yes, and yet it does. It's a cheese fest, yes, and it has its flaws. It's problematic. Some of the effects are a little BBC worldwide, and the science is a joke. But 10 minutes into it, if you have a soul, that is, you just do not care. You can't even say they don't make them like this anymore. Because even for the period it's emulating, they never made them like this. <laughs> it's bizarre, it's ludicrous, it's seem-chewingly fantastic, but more than any of that, it's just plain fun. So I'll say it again, movie fucking bangs. Nice. And I'm going to give it four and a half. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, right. Apologies for this, as I said. And uh, I promise, by the way, Rune and any first-time listeners, I'm not normally this obnoxious. I just really like this. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. I'm here. Um, so, um, movies exist for a lot of different reasons. They can educate us about the world around us. They can inform us about social issues or make us think about our place in the world. And sometimes they can just exist for you to have fun. Okay, this film nowadays looks like it has the production value of a cheap pantomime, the acting of one at times, and it's not about to win any Oscars. Maybe it's because I came to it earlier and it's been a continuous presence in my life. Maybe it's my love of sci-fi and comic books, which this film helped to spawn. Maybe it's the Brit in me who loves to support an underdog and appreciates a tone of subtle satire or parody. But I just love this. 
It's a perfect multi-purpose film as well. You can watch it while getting drunk with your friends, talk over it mystery science theater style, enjoy it with your family, if you're me anyway, or just stick it on to cheer you up in down moments. Even the questionable moments feel like they're mocking old stereotypes and making fun. And there's that word again. Hodges says that whatever else happened, the people making this film had fun. You may not think it's a great film. You may not even like it. But it's that sense of fun that seems to have transferred to at least some viewers, myself included, through some sort of alchemy. If you let yourself, if you suspend disbelief, and if you appreciate that nothing here is to be taken seriously, I defy you not to just have fun. You may say it's not great cinema, but isn't that a great usage of any art form? And I also, I actually give it five out of five. Nice. Because of course I did. Of course. <laughs> you know, we knew straight away, really, didn't we? Nobody's yeah. surprised by that. So that uh, gives you a final score then for Flash Gordon of 4.3 recurring. So we'll say 4.3 out of five. Very good that's, score. I'm happy with yeah, that. That's, that's pretty good. I think, uh, I think after uh, 40 years, we can safely say. Gordon's alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, uh, oh, well, who wants to podcast forever? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's pretty respectable enough, Mike. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and what about your own shot? Or are you quite pleased with that? I'm pleased with that. I've oh. learned a lot today. And I'm, yeah. You've learned you now want to go out and get the, buy this, the 4K. Right. Yeah. Hold up. I, I have a notification. Oh, they blocked me on Facebook. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's lying. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, this is really been like great i i appreciate the like info dump it was awesome <laughs> fantastic well yeah that's here f uh, that's it from us here on silver screen cult classics not only do we owe everything to flash but also our guests so as always all that's left to do is thank them for joining me today so thank you mike hey yo, I, I was always gonna be here <laughs> you don't have to thank me <laughs> anything new that you're uh, you wanting to promote while we're here buddy no, I will. Uh, I'm still doing my best to try and uh, bring attention to the Tyneside Cinemas plight that it currently needs to raise money to stay open because, as you know, they're showing some great classic films that I'm really enjoying seeing on the big screen. So I will leave the link in the description to that if you want to donate anything to help the people that live near the Tyneside Cinema to still have a little local independent cinema to go to. It is fantastic. So I do recommend, uh, at the very least, check out the website and have a look around the place virtually. And uh, yeah. That's all. <laughs> Brilliant. And uh, also a big thank you to First Time Arun for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Brilliant. Have, have you had fun? I've had a lot of fun. So that's much fun, really. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Would <laughs> you be willing to return at some point? Or if are you going to block us both? <laughs> yeah, if y'all are willing to have me, I'd be, in, I'd be into that. Oh, definitely. Rocky Horror. Also, my husband's <laughs> like, <"Hey>, me. <laughs> well, you're always welcome. Is there anything you'd like to promote while you're here with us? Any upcoming projects or anywhere the listeners can reach you? Um, you can find me on Insta at runevon.com. And I spell it the proper way, which is V-A-U-G-H-A-N. And yeah, I don't have anything like really to promote right now other than just myself, because unless you live in my specific small town, I don't think y'all are coming over to see the theater. <laughs> well, you're welcome to, uh, you know, to promote that. Anything around there, if you want. You never know. We might have listeners. We've got, That's we've got true. You place. might. Jamie I'm is helping. listening, apparently. For <laughs> <laughs> so, Jamie. We're actually, I'm, I'm in the, we're wrapping up, I guess, in the last couple of weeks of rehearsals for Ruthless the Musical, in which place... Ooh. 
I am playing the character Sylvia St. Croix, which is phenomenally over the top farcy character. So, well, uh, you've, you've had some perfect people to coach you on that. Then. Oh, I know. It's, it's definitely my niche. It's my niche on the stage. And it's, it's a lot of fun for me because this character is an all female cast, but this specific character, um, it was written for a female, but the original casting, they couldn't find a woman to play it that played it the way they really wanted it, but they found a guy to play it. So a lot of times this is played in drag. And as a non-binary actor, it's like, I get to play this really awesome, like potentially drag kind of character, but I still have to wear heels. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm super excited about it. It's been a lot of fun. Great stuff. Yeah. Well, as usual, we'll post uh, all links in the description. So if you out there are interested in any of our guests or what they're getting up to, then please give them a click and give you support. You'll be more than glad you did. And speaking of support, it may not sound like it sometimes, but a lot of work goes into these podcasts as well as money. So if you did like what you hear today, please like, subscribe, share with your friends. And also please consider clicking on that coffee link in the description and helping us out if you're so inclined. We'd be incredibly grateful. And it will help us continue to deliver these shows to you. Isn't that right, Mike? Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you can always find us on any one of about a thousand current social media sites, <laughs> including, as news has currently just reached me, the newly rebranded X. <sighs> you can follow me on X now if you want for at least a little while, I guess. <laughs> for the, well... I say for the next few days, but by the time this goes out, it might have uh, <laughs> imploded. If you are listening in today and were shouting at us for missing something, didn't agree, or just want in, then please don't hesitate to drop us a line either in the comments or any of the social media and let us know. We're always on the lookout for guests that are interested in discussing their favourite or not so favourite movies, and we'd love to hear from you. Who knows, maybe there's something coming up in the near future you'd love to talk about. Speaking of which, coming up, it's a total eclipse of the sun next week as cult classics goes musical. That's right, we couldn't help but notice that strange and interesting plant in the window. So join Mike and I as we're joined by a guest or two as we discuss Frank Oz's 1986 Little Shop of Horrors. Feed my DK! Suddenly Seymour. That makes my heart happy. <laughs> so all that's left to say is thank you all for joining us today. We hope to see you next time. And until then, remember, long live Flash. You've saved your earth. Have a nice day. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> <laughs>
Hit or miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast production. Copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.